G'day everyone again, it's myself Jesus and Mary's helping me today again doing some interviews about the emotions. This is session three of the emotion inter interviews and questions or frequently asked questions. But uh, before we proceed with them I'd just like to remind you again that a lot of these questions are introductory questions about emotions and they're very much based around some basic principles that we covered in the How the Human Soul Functions series of questions. So we'd point you back to that particular area if you haven't looked at that area already before you listen to the answers of the questions that we asked today. Today the questions that we're talking about are mostly surrounding some very basic things about emotions themselves and very basic three main groups of emotions I suppose you could say and so we're going to discuss those particular things together. So I'd like to welcome Mary along. G'day darling, yes. it's nice to see you again today. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen you much today actually, have we? Been <laughs> We've busy. been so busy. Yeah. And, uh, and what we'll be doing is discussing these particular questions which form the basis of many of the answers we're going to give to other people at a later, at a later point in time. So uh, that's what we want to do, form the basis of a group of uh, answers that we're going to give to individual people once we've finished this introductory portion of the series about emotions. So we'd like to thank you for your time and watching uh, the material and uh, we hope you enjoy the material. So what are pleasurable emotions? Well I've placed pleasurable, pleasurable emotions into two categories. Uh, one are a group are uh, the pleasurable emotions that are actually in harmony with love and truth. So they are the emotions that you have an experience of pleasure mm -hmm. that that happen when you are in harmony with God's love and God's truth. Yeah. And then I'd put the second category as a whole group of emotions that are all based around addictions where that you think are pleasurable. So, <laughs> so a lot of times they are not pleasurable to the soul because they cause damage to the soul, or they cause damage to other people's soul. And they also um, are not pleasurable in the long run. In other words, they are temporarily pleasurable. Uh -huh. They give you this sort of instant satisfaction to suppress a fear or to suppress some anger or whatever other emotion you're attempting to suppress with it, but they're not really pleasurable in the long term. Mm. So if we look at the two groups of emotions, let's focus on the first group, which are the ones that cause you real long-term pleasure. They're the ones that you experience that are completely in harmony with God's love and truth. And what I mean by that is that when we are living our life in complete harmony with God's love and complete harmony with God's truth, then we have continuous pleasure. And the pleasure will be of all sorts of natures. So there'll be this, this beautiful, happy, joyful feeling. Sometimes it will be sexual pleasure depending on what you're engaging in there. But a lot of the times it will be just general pleasure about mm -hmm. your day-to-day -day life that occurs because you've got your life into harmony with God's love and God's truth. Now on the earth today, hardly anybody experiences uh, any portion of that really, yeah. because most, most people are not engaged in pleasurable emotions that are in harmony with God's love and truth. Uh -huh. So would you say that's things like joy and excitement and um all these kind of pleasurable things that we associate with pleasure, but from what you're saying, they are 
coming from the soul, the soul's experience, whereas the second group of emotions you talked about was about suppressing some part of the soul's experience? Yes, remember yeah. in previous uh, FAQs on this subject of emotions, we've yeah. talked about what happens when the soul, when you suppress your soul's energy. Mm -hmm. Remember all of these emotions are energy in motion. So pleasurable emotions are pleasurable, if we went back to a pure definition, it's energy that is pleasurable to experience in motion. Yes. So it's not just you know, sitting there and, and not experiencing anything, it's actually having a f physical and emotional experience. And, and these pleasurable feelings or sensations are all going to be based, they're all going to be coming from your own soul, uh -huh. but they can also come from the soul of others. So in other words, they can come from God's soul or come from other people's soul into your soul but they'll be all in complete harmony with God's love and truth. Mm -hmm. In other words, there'll be nothing out of harmony with God's love or truth that causes this permanent pleasure to exist. Mm -hmm. So we are capable of experiencing permanent pleasure. God created us in that way. But of course, the majority of people on earth uh, have very little pleasure and most of the pleasure they have is not of this first type. Most of the pleasure they have is of the second type, and that is getting their addictions met. And this kind of pleasure is very temporary in its nature. It's fo focused on suppressing, uh, usually suppressing fear, or suppressing anger or rage. And, and as a result, it only can result in, any temp in a seeming temporary pleasure. But uh, unfortunately, it also results in a damage to the soul of the individual and the soul of other people. Mm -hmm. And that's not the kind of pleasurable emotions in the long run that you'd probably want to experience. Of course, we're very focused on having those emotions experienced because to obtain the, the first group of emotions, the pleasure based on in harmony with God's love and truth, you have to bring your life into harmony with God's love and truth. And most people, of course, don't want to do that yeah. or have a deep resistance to doing that for many reasons. And so what they finish up doing is seeking out temporary pleasure through the second group of emotions, which are all revolving around addictions. Mm. So like, I feel that if we understand that sometimes we will see, feel like we're feeling pleasure when actually we're in an addiction and, and it's just a way of helping us to avoid certain emotions. And also if we understand that these kind of pleasures will always result in the degradation of our soul, then we can start seeing the results of the different types of pleasure we engage in. And so in this second type of pleasure that you're describing, which is based around addiction, the fulfilment of an addiction, mm -hmm. uh, you're saying that it creates a degradation of our soul. And yes. from what we know about how the human soul functions, then we could um, understand that it's also going to lead to pain in the long term. Correct. Yeah. yeah, so it might be temporary pleasure for the moment yep. in the sense that we feel like we're, uh, you know, having an addiction met and so therefore we feel temporary pleasure. But the reality is we've degraded our own soul and usually the soul of others when we're engaging those things. And as a result, our, our own soul will feel more pain in the longer term. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like trying to have a temporary fix to a permanent problem. Mm -hmm. So whenever you attempt to have a temporary fix to a permanent problem when it comes to emotions, you'll always experience more pain in the longer term. Yeah. So the only real way to fix any negative emotion is to actually permanently fix it and yeah. by experiencing it and letting it go. Yeah, right. So the, um, 
the pleasurable emotions that are in harmony with God's love and truth, they don't have, from what you're saying, they don't have a negative result. They result Ever. in more pleasure and they Always. actually expand in our pleasure, yes. don't they? Yes, they don't have a negative result in the sense that they never have a negative result. Mm. And, uh, and, and this is an important thing that we need to understand. If we are having painful experiences in our lives, it's because we've previously probably chosen temporary pleasure based on addictions, which always causes painful experiences. Yeah. When we engage in true pleasurable experiences that are in harmony with God's love and truth, there is never a future painful consequence. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we will never have some future pain to have to endure or suffer or release because it doesn't create any future pain either or further pain inside of the soul. So this is the beauty of a true pleasure yeah. is, that, is that it's very pure in its nature. It's completely in harmony with God's love and truth, but also it has all of these advantages in that you don't have any future pain as a result of engaging in it. You don't have any future problems. You don't, have, you don't create any future pain or current pain for anybody else and you don't damage your own soul in the, in, in the engagement of that kind of pleasure. Mm. Whereas the second group of pleasures, if you like, which are all addictive in their nature, used to suppress or resist or distract yourself from other emotions, these kind of pleasures always result in future pain. They result in a degradation of your soul. They also generally result in the degradation of the soul of others and future pain for others mm -hmm. uh, if they don't experience the, that particular feeling that they have in that moment. Mm -hmm. And as a result, uh, it, it's very, very temporary in nature and causes an escalation of the pain that's inside of the soul. Yep. So, you know, we need to make sure really that the pleasure that we think we're experiencing is actually going to have long-term benefits to our life or it's just a short-term seeming benefit with all of these negative consequences. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the problem that most people on earth face is that many times they engage in temporary pleasure, the second type of pleasure. Yeah. And unfortunately, it causes a degradation of their own soul and many deeper, f further painful experiences, mm. which they then try to mask with other temporary pleasures. Yes. And you end up in this cycle of, dis of degradation of your soul if you're not careful going down that track. And there's historically many, many billions of people have engaged in that behaviour. And hence, there is a lot of people who live uh, in the darkness of the, of the hells of the spirit world as a result of their desire for this kind of pleasure. Mm. 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 Great. Mm. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> what are painful emotions? Well, painful emotions, again, are emotions that are caused uh, the opposite to pleasurable emotions in that they are caused by uh, actions or thoughts or words or deeds or, uh, or other feelings acted upon out of harmony with God's love and truth. Mm -hmm. So there are energies that are stored within the soul that can be expressed and they will always be expressed in a painful way. Yeah. They'll always hurt you when they're expressed because you've taken prior actions, previous actions or thoughts or, or had feelings that are completely out of harmony with God's love and truth. Uh -huh. so, so that's really what painful emotions are. Um, of course, again, there are two types of pain uh -huh. and I think we need to understand that. So um, perhaps we need to discuss the two types of pain. Yeah. There's the kind of pain that you go through that heals you uh -huh. 
which is an emotional experience of a release of painful, past painful emotions yeah. that have been stored in the soul. And that kind of pain will actually lead to your pleasure. That's yes. the irony of that <laughs> kind of pain. Whereas you, the second type of pain is the type of pain that causes you to not to decide to suppress it or deny it or resist it or, or um, you know, distract yourself from it in some way. And unfortunately, if you engage in that process with that kind of pain, you just finish up creating deeper pain. Yeah. And this kind of pain is very, very damaging to the soul in that it causes an escalation in your pain. So, so pain is in itself is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's the suffering that cause, is caused by long-term painful storage of painful emotions and experiences that is a bad thing. Mm. Um, the pain itself, while it's re can, it can be released from you immediately, if it's released from you immediately, then you'll have no long-term detrimental effects from pain. But if it's not released from you immediately, then you will have long-term detrimental effects from pain. Yeah. Or if you've taken actions that are based on pleasure, temporary pleasure that cause pain in the soul, you will have long-term detrimental effects from that, those actions too. Yeah. So, so we need to understand that firstly, all pain is created by actions taken by ourselves or others and emotions honoured by ourselves and others, in other words, the feeling of emotions, of energy in motion, yeah. that is honoured by ourselves or others that are completely out of harmony with God's love and truth. Yeah. So we need to understand that. But we also need to understand that the feeling of pain is not a bad, necessarily a bad experience for the soul because it can actually improve the soul's condition. Yes. And, and also it is a feedback mechanism for the soul's condition. So it tells us that something is wrong in our soul. And these, this is very, very important for our future development. If we don't know that something is wrong in our soul, then what's the likelihood that we'll actually adjust what is wrong? It's yeah. fairly negligible, I'd suggest. Whereas once we know what, that there, there's something wrong, and the way we know is that we're experiencing pain. Mm -hmm. That's how we know. So we know there's something wrong because we're experiencing pain. Now we have the opportunity to either suppress that pain with temporary pleasure or, or suppress the pain through denial or suppression or resistance or the feeling of that pain. If we choose to feel and experience the pain, we will release it in that moment and when we release it, it will no longer govern the rest of our existence. Yeah. So it's very, very important for us to go through a process which is painful to release old pains mm -hmm. and no longer have them stored within our soul. But we need to understand that Pain is created by, so all of these painful experiences have been created by something being out of harmony with God's love and truth. Yeah. And so it seems to me that there's the pain that we've accumulated, we've suppressed and accumulated, mm -hmm. and then there's the pain that we're almost accruing by, so that painful, um, the pain from the past that we're storing occurred as a result of some process out of harmony with God's love and truth. Yes, and, and, but it's not only the process out of harmony with God's love and truth that had to have happened, mm -hmm. there also had to have been some suppression of the result. Yep. Because the only way for pain to be stored and not felt, remember all of this en is energy that is stored in the soul or felt by the soul, one of the two. Mm -hmm. We either store it or we feel it. Yep. If we store the energy, the painful experience in the soul, then what we're actually have chosen to do is store that experience at that age and that experience will now continue to damage the soul. It'll, 
it'll reflect upon all of the soul's filters. So what, how the soul sees the world will be through the filters of that damage and nothing will occur until we choose to release it and we must choose to release it. Nobody else can do that for us. Yeah. It is a personal process that we must choose at the soul level to go through to experience to release it. So, so we need to understand that the releasing process is good for us. Mm -hmm. So temporary pain is, is the result of our recognizing painful past experiences and then allowing ourselves to go through the process of feeling them. Yeah. Permanent pain, or what I would classify as suffering, mm. is when you choose to deny, resist, or suppress, or try to substitute painful experience, pleasurable with painful experiences. And when you choose to do those things, you create longer term pain. In other words, you place a layer over the top of your pain that keeps that pain within your soul and now that pain that's in your soul will dictate every single thought, every single action to do with that subjects or groups of subjects. And you will continue to degrade your condition until you're sensitive to the pain. Yeah. So, and, and that's what causes long-term suffering. So it sounds to me actually that you're describing three types of pain. One is the pain we're carrying as a result of suppression of painful events or processes in our past which has been created by the past experiences that we have not released. Yep, so yes. the suppression of those past experiences, yes. so that's pain. Then there's the pain that we can experience through healing, so by actually opening up to those long suppressed things. Or any or, current thing that's happening that's painful. Or a current thing that's happening that's painful. So we can that, release completely that pain, Yep. and as a result it no longer governs our long-term experience. Yep. yep. And then it sounds like there's a third type of pain, which is as we continue right now to engage processes and actions that are out of harmony with God's love and truth, Yes. then we are creating pain and perpetuating pain. Yes. And if we could add to that particular, yeah. the third one, whenever we're attempting to use pleasure as a result of substitution for pain, mm -hmm. that's all a part of that third group of pains, if yeah. you like. Yeah. And those pains usually turn into deep suffering, like yeah. where, we're, where our body starts coming out with diseases. And, you know, by the time we get a disease in our body, it's already an indicator that our soul's in deep pain. Yeah. And we need to be sensitive to our soul in order to enable that pain to be expressed and released. Mm. Mm. Okay, so um, you mentioned the term permanent pain, mm -hmm. which is in result of like long-term suppression. Yes, the, the, if we could use uh, separate temporary from permanent, yeah. uh, permanent pain is the result of suppressing the experience of temporary pain. Mm. And what happens there is, you, you, as I've said previously, you place, place a layer of suppression resistance, denial or substitution over the top of the pain that you need to experience. Now that creates long-term or what you would call semi-permanent or permanent pain. While you choose to suppress, while you choose to deny, while you choose to resist, while you choose to use substitution techniques, that pain will remain. Yeah. And if you do those techniques, those substitution and resistance techniques, and those other techniques I mentioned for 10,000 years, then you'll have that pain in your soul for 10,000 years. Yeah. That's how yeah. the soul works. If you choose to do it for one year, you'll have it for one year. Yeah. If you choose <laughs> to do it for, for 10 minutes, then it'll be just 10 minutes. 
but there will be that pain uh, and it will be that period of time until you choose to experience it completely, mm. until you stop using the suppression techniques that you have in play um, to suppress those particular painful experiences and emotions. Now, for most people, the first process they have to go through is removing the suppression techniques. Yeah. So they've got to remove resistance, remove denial, remove resistance, remove suppression, and remove the desire to substitute. Yeah. So-called pleasurable emotions for these painful ones. And that process is usually the process that's quite difficult because mm. uh, it's a process that you must engage with your own process, you know, your own thoughts and your own feelings. It's not, not a process. Other people can help you, but, it's, but they can't help you change your mind or change your beliefs, which are all based on emotions inside of you, um, unless you change inside of you emotionally some of these emotions and beliefs. Nothing can happen. Yeah. So, so it's very important if you find yourself having pain that's chronic, uh, whether it's physical or emotional in nature, that you understand that you've created it through suppression and you need to firstly focus on removing the emotions that cause you to desire to suppress, resist, deny or substitute yeah. these kind of emotions. And that's where I find most people are struggling. Yeah. Because they want to go straight to the pain and they want to bypass all of the suppression techniques. Well, actually, <laughs> the very fact that we want to bypass all the suppression techniques shows that we don't really want to go straight to the pain. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So they have an intellectual exercise yeah. of attempting to get out of an emotion that, that tries to bypass all of the suppression techniques, mm. which are all painful, yeah. and they all have painful, painful consequences. And so most people don't wish to go through any of their suppression techniques because they're all painful emotions. Mm. And as a result, they never really get to the causal emotion that will cause the relief of the pain. Yeah, sometimes to me it feels like it's like a big, you know, pile of crap, really, <laughs> that... <laughs> that I've stacked on, stacked on, stacked on. And then um, get to a point where you realise just, just what you've said, that the painful emotion is only going to cease when you stop all these other th things you've piled on to try and keep it at bay. Yes. And then you have to go through this process which feels a bit um, messy and involved of well, like, well, taking away the judgments of... of expression and well the, the thing we need to understand it is that it is messy and involved because every one of these judgments and suppressions and resistances and denials have been created by an emotion yeah we, we want to do those things because there's certain emotions that are dictating to to us that we do those things yeah. and so every one of those things is almost like an addiction that we're, we've now we're now having to unravel yeah. and like any addiction it takes time to unravel it and an extreme use of your own will, and, which yeah, is something that we covered in our last discussion. We did, and mm. I wanted to um, highlight that, like that again because really you've just said that pain only becomes suffering as the result of the use of our will to suppress. Yes. And so pain will always be temporary if we choose to feel it. Feel it. Mm -hmm. Uh, as it occurs and as it arises in us, mm -hmm. but you've said it can almost become permanent, although I don't believe God created a universe no, where pain the, is ever permanent. But the reality is there are many people in the spirit world who have been in pain for 10,000 years yeah. or longer. 
So, so that's fairly permanent. It's not permanent in the sense of forever permanent. Yeah. So there's no such thing as a person forever being in pain. So there's no such thing as a person forever being in hell either. Yeah. But they can be in hell in pain for a long period of time dependent upon their own desire to suppress what's going on. So this use of will again. Yes, yeah. so it all depends upon the right use of your will yeah. as to whether you'll experience a long-term pain yeah. which, which becomes chronic in its nature and so bad that in fact it can cause your own, uh, what you call premature death. Mm. But the fact that we all die when we're, you know, from old age still is an indication that our bodies are still in a lot of permanent uh, pain that has yet to be released because if we weren't our cell replication structure would all be perfectly occurring and we would never die mm. our physical body would never die from anything other than an accident or by choice um, or by somebody murdering it it wouldn't die from disease or some kind of illness or any of those things if you had released all of your emotions that have created your pain yeah. so we need to understand that the problem isn't necessarily the painful event. The problem is how we handle the painful event. Mm. Most people handle the painful event through resistance, denial, suppression, or, or some kind of substitution. And these are all very damaging things to happen to the soul. And we do it to ourselves. Mm. And then as a result, we usually finish up in our body getting diseases because the energy systems in our soul have been shut down so much. There's no flow of energy, there's no e-motion, energy in motion, yeah. and as a result our soul shuts down and therefore cannot properly keep alive both the spirit and physical bodies, and particularly the physical body, and so the physical body gets older older, or, or gets a disease or an illness and dies yeah. as a result of the suppression of these particular emotions. So we need to understand that it's all us, it's all what yeah. we're choosing to do, Yeah. with our pain. With our pain. and. Yep. Um, you mentioned earlier that pain is really a feedback system for us, so God's feedback system. So our choice to suppress the pain is in fact a, a, almost a rebellion at the feedback system. Yes. And then you're just mentioning physical illness, which is another expression of a feedback system, isn't Correct. it? So there's all these feedback systems that God is trying to show us. Yes, something's well, out of harmony. It begins with harmony. the emotional pain in the soul. Yep. And then, of course, there's the layer of pain that starts to exhibit in the spirit body. So you start losing different senses in the spirit body as a result of suppression. And then as a result, that has a follow-on effect onto the material body. And so after the energy has been blocked a long time in the material body, you start getting diseased organs and so forth, Dise diseased processes. A lot of the processes are inhibited. And as a result, the, the physical body starts to decay and, and is very open then to contracting certain types of illnesses and diseases depending on what you're suppressing. Mm. And there is a direct link between what you're suppressing and the type of illness. There's a direct link between all of those things. And like I've said in previous answers, we could, you know, there's thousands and thousands of different illnesses, but each one of them has a certain specific thing that you're suppressing in a certain specific way mm -hmm. that creates those particular illnesses. And, and if we understood we're doing all of this to ourselves, we wouldn't then go and get a pill to fix our physical body, which is another form of suppression of the feedback system. Yeah. Uh, what we would do instead is we'd focus on trying to find out what is the actual problem inside of the soul. And that's why God designed it this way, so that we find out the problem that's inside of the soul that's out of harmony with God's love and truth. Yeah. And we fix it. We mm -hmm. choose to fix it.
Unfortunately, that's not the approach we take now, generally on the planet. And so as a result, we have this continuing and growing problems with regard to diseases and illnesses and, illnesses. and so forth. Yep. So we put more and more money into solving problems that in the end are more and more difficult to solve because we're doing more and more suppression. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I just find that really um, fascinating that all long-term pain, whether it's emotional or physical, is the result of our rebellion against God's feedback system. Mm. And yet God's still trying to give us feedback on that. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And so in the end, unless, unless the humanity actually sees this en masse, um, it's very unlikely that a lot of these so-called diseases and illnesses that we face will ever really be cured. And this is what doctors are finding, of course, too. They're finding organisms that once they cure one type of disease, another one comes up. There's genetic mutations of different things occurring, you know, with regard to bacteria yeah, and viruses, viruses and so forth. And all of these are occurring because the actual emotion allows them to occur. Once you cure the emotion, you don't have to worry about those kind of factors because the emotion is the cure to the disease or the illness or the problem. Mm. And this is why, where we need to understand that the growing amount of pain that we're experiencing on the planet, collectively and individually, generally, is, result, is the result of our direct desire to suppress, deny, resist and substitute temporary pleasure for our painful emotions. And yet, as you said at the beginning, um, we can simply allow the energy in motion or the emotion of mm. the pain um, and it will be gone from us yes. in a much briefer period. Well, if you look at a child sincerely feeling an emotion, I'm, so I'm not now talking about a child's emotion of rage or anger or rebellion or any of those like kind of tantrum. things. Like a yeah. tantrum. I'm talking about a sincere feeling that a child has. For example, let's say the child injures itself, and sometimes children can injure themselves quite badly, um, where they need stitches or other things. And, and once you let, if you let them cry, 10 minutes later, you know, they mm. can be completely free of any pain, yeah. uh, even though they're still the injury. Yeah. And as a result, they repair very rapidly. They usually repair very rapidly if they're allowed to have that release of the emotion. So a child knows how to do this process very, very simply, mm. but most adults have had it suppressed so strongly that we've now lost all contact of how to actually process our painful emotions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks. Pleasure. What's the cause of all pain? The cause of all pain are, are energies, if we can call them that, that may or may not be in motion, okay. that are out of harmony with God's love and God's truth. Now, when I use the term energy, I'm being very loose in my expression because they take the form of energy that motivates us to action. Uh -huh. They take the form of emotion, feelings. Yeah. Yeah. They take the form of even thoughts, which are energies that have come from uh, emotional Emotion. feelings triggered now into thoughts. Yeah. And they take also the form of beliefs. So, so any thought, feeling, emotion, or belief, action. or action, yeah. that's out of harmony with God's love and truth, will create pain. Mm -hmm. It will create pain the instant that it occurs. Yeah. And it doesn't matter 
it, it can be a very minor thing that you might have done out of harmony with love and truth. There will be a minor pain <laughs> caused as a result. If it's a major thing you've done out of harmony with God's love and truth, then there'll be a major pain result. Now, unfortunately, most people are not sensitive to that uh, because they're already in suppression and denial and uh, resistance to any pain. And we can detune ourselves from the sensitivity to pain. So there's probably this secondary aspect that we need to talk about with regard to the question, and that is allowing ourselves to be sensitive to pain. You see, pain is our feedback mechanism that something's wrong. So the more sensitive we allow ourselves to be to our pain, the, the higher a likelihood there will be that we won't repeat the action, thought, or let's call it the energy yes. that was out of harmony with love and truth that created the pain. Mm -hmm. so, so we need to understand that whenever we take action to suppress our pain, we are also taking a secondary action to become less sensitive to pain. And eventually, most adults become almost completely desensitized to pain. Yeah. And when we become desensitized to pain, we are now going to find it very, very, very difficult, firstly, to be sensitive to the feedback mechanism of what God's telling us that's out of harmony with love and truth. And secondly, we're going to find it very, very difficult to release any pain. Mm. <laughs> so we're really causing a lot of problems for our soul by desensitizing ourselves to pain. So we meet a lot of people who are very proud of their desensitized state and yet it's a very, very damaged state actually yeah. that causes a lot of difficulty in the long term and, and also causes long-term suffering. Yeah. Once we have desensitized ourselves to pain, we are basically desensitizing ourselves to the feedback mechanism God has provided to tell us that we're out of harmony with love and truth. Mm. And this is why most people on the planet have no idea when they're out of harmony with love and truth. Yeah. Because most of the time they're not feeling the pain that is immediately created. And it's only when the pain that's immediately created gets to such a crescendo mm. in terms of a feeling that, it's, that we can't but help to feel it, that we notice it. Yeah. And that's sad because we could have felt it a lot, more so a lot sooner. We could have felt it when it was a lot lower in its mm. intensity. But unfortunately, most people have to only feel, only allow themselves to feel pain once it's in really incredible intensities. And the same applies to many spirits. They usually continue to do destructive things out of harmony with God's love and truth until the physical pain from the actual experience has increased to such a level that now they cannot ignore it anymore and none of the tools that they're using allow them to ignore it. Yeah. And once we get to that stage, that's when we start feeling our pain and trying to do something about it. And this is why most people do not do anything about their emotional pain until they have a physical illness or disease that causes them to feel extreme amounts of pain. Yeah, or limits their um, physical freedom in some way, physical Correct. independence in yes. some way. Yeah. But it's mostly the pain that triggers it. Even when they're limited in, in, in their independence, it rarely, if ever, causes them to change. Yeah. It's only when they feel extreme amounts of pain <laughs> that they start to change, generally. Yeah. And even then, many don't. Like, so, so there are many smokers who contract lung cancer, and even while they've got lung cancer, they still continue to smoke. This is an indication of somebody who's in complete denial of the pain, even. They're in extreme amounts of pain, 
and yet they're still in complete denial of the cause of it. Yeah. They, they, even though it's well recognised in that example that I've given yeah. what the cause is, they're in complete denial of its cause and they'd rather the temporary pleasure of taking the cigarette yeah. <laughs> rather than uh, uh, let the re release the, the pain that could result in their health being improved in a longer life. Yeah. So we're, we're quite amazing like that as individuals. We, we go to great lengths to avoid pain. We do, and yet going back to what you said at the beginning, uh, you said that it's, pain's created by any action, thought, emotion or belief. Or any energy, if we sum all that up. Energy, yep. yep. That is out of harmony with God's truth. And in that we could say it's used to suppress God's truth and love, deny it, substitute for it. It's anything to, you know, be separate from that, from yes. God's truth and love. Yep. Um, and you're saying any time we have any energy that's creating, uh, that's out of harmony with those things, that is creating in that moment some pain. Yes. And most of us are not... Sometimes so, we feel it, you know, so, yeah. so we might cry for a little bit and feel some of it. But, but generally most people don't even do that. Yeah. Sometimes most of, my, what most people revert to is complete denial of it or complete suppression. Mm. Mm. And so that pain is created immediately mm. and yet most of us live desensitised to it Correct. until it becomes extreme. Yes. And from what you're saying, if we were sensitive to it from the beginning... Um, you wouldn't even be able to engage in the act if you were sensitive to it from the beginning. So the key is allowing yourself to be as sensitive as possible mm. to all pain, mm. emotion, particularly emotional pain, but all pain, because emotional pain, remember, comes from the soul. It's energy in motion. So it's the energy system inside of the soul. That's the pain you want to be the sense, most sensitive to if you can be, because then you won't have any physical pain. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're sensitive to that emotional pain and you release it, no physical pain will actually appear in your body. Yeah, most of us are raised to be pretty desensitised to our pain, aren't we? We're taught that that's taught good, yes. that that's brave, that that's tough, that that's yep. strong. There's and so many social beliefs that cause us, and you know, usually family-based beliefs, that cause us to desensitise to our pain, that everyone's proud of desensitising to their pain, which is being pro basically being proud about creating further future suffering. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's very, very negative uh, mm. to be proud about, you know, desensitivity to pain. Yeah. But most people are like that because, that they, you know, there's all sorts of ego-based issues involved with that. When I say ego-based, pride-based issues involved with wanting to make out that you're experiencing no pain when you really are. And the key is to allow yourself to experience the emotional pain. Because when you experience the emotional pain, the physical pain is far less. Mm. And that's a direct result of allowing the emotional pain to flow. The energy flowing in the soul, turning it into an emotion. So that locked up energy that might have began there, turning it into emotion by allowing its flow, causes a relief of the soul yeah. and a relief of the soul's pain. And once that occurs, we have the subsequent flow on benefits to our spiritual and physical bodies. Okay, thank you. Pleasure. <laughs> what is fear? Well, before we answer the question about what is fear, we probably need to answer the question about all sorts of these individual questions about individual emotions, and that uh -huh. is that, that all of them are energy of, of a kind, of a certain type, 
that's stored or expressed by the soul. Yeah. Now it can be stored or expressed, so that's the other thing we need to understand. So it's a certain type of energy that's stored or expressed within the soul. Mm -hmm. So fear is a type of energy that's stored or expressed by the soul. So yep. it's stored in the soul or expressed by the soul. Mm -hmm. And you can do either with it. Yep. Now if you store it in the soul, then it becomes a filter for the rest of your experience. Mm -hmm. It also de determines what you attract because yep. God wants you to release this fear. Yep. So God's God will try to trigger the fear. God will try to bring, you know, your very soul, in fact, all of God's laws, if we, if, if, if I, instead of, I, of using the term God, yep. if I say all of the laws of the universe have been created so that you release fear. Mm -hmm. So if you want to store fear in you, you're out of harmony with all the laws uh, regarding the soul. And so all of those laws will kick into action trying to trigger your fear, trying mm -hmm. to help you release it. So that's, uh, in other words, trying to help you experience it. Mm -hmm. But every single energy that's in the soul, fear is included, is just an energy of a certain type or that has a certain type of nature that's individual in its, in its type or nature. Yep. And it's usually related to events and experiences and past experiences usually and past events mm -hmm. that you stored yep. rather than felt at the time. Uh -huh. So, but you could have, you would have had the choice to feel it, but you would have stored it for certain reasons. Yeah. And many of those reasons are environmental. Yeah. In other words, it, that we're for, we're forced to store it by by our environment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, you said a lot there. Yes. Um, but there's a few notes here. Perhaps if we walk through those notes. Sure. And then we can maybe expand a little bit on what you said in some of those points. Because we want to find the flavour of fear. What, what, <laughs> what, what, you know, so I've said a very general answer to what fear is, which also yep. applies to every other emotion. Which is that it's energy. Um, that, that either is stored or expressed. It's yes. either stored or in motion. Yes. It's one of those two things. Yep. And depending on whether it's stored or in motion, it has different effects upon our life Correct. and upon our soul and upon ourselves and those around us. Correct. But every type of energy, yep. so of which fear is one type, has a different way that it gets created, uh -huh. a different way it gets stored, yep. or a different way it gets expressed. Yes. God made our souls that way so that we store and express every individual type of energy in different ways. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. and, and this is what we need to understand, that every single type of emotion we can ask questions about. So there's literally hundreds of different emotions that we could ask questions about. Every one of them has a specific flavour because it's a certain type of energy yeah. that is stored or expressed from the soul. So I think it's great that we're talking about fear mm -hmm. because that is an emotion that is largely stored and not expressed on Correct. the planet, isn't Correct. it? Correct, yes. So um, let's... You know, get... it's there's often a... a Unfortunately, with fear, it's often stored and then expressed, but using other techniques, unfortunately. So, in other words, it's, the fear itself is not expressed. The fear itself is not experienced. We often substitute other emotions for its experience. Yeah. And that's why we never get to the bottom of our fear. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, let's talk specifically just about what fear. is fear. Yeah. Yep. So, you've said it's a type of energy within the soul. Yes. And fear, from what you just said, is unique in that it's stored and expressed in a very specific way. Correct. And we call that fear. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, from our notes here, we're saying fear is an energy-based 
uh, or a belief based on an error. Correct. So there are certain emotions that are beliefs based on truth. Mm -hmm. They will always generally be pleasurable to experience. Right. And then there are certain emotions that are beliefs based upon error, mm -hmm. and they will always generally be painful to experience. So there's always a link between the type of emotion yeah. and the type of experience. So yeah. we need to understand that. So fear is a type of energy that is stored that's based upon certain events that have create, both created pain, but it's also about a belief system that we hold on to that it's out of harmony with love or truth. The belief system itself that's out of harmony with love and truth creates, creates fear. fear. Yep. Gotcha. Now, when I say it's out of harmony with love or truth, I'm saying it's out of harmony with God's love and God's truth, mm -hmm. not out of harmony with the truth of our experience. Yep. So many people have fearful experiences created within their soul. And remember, it's not the creation of the experience that causes the fear to remain within the soul. It's our unwillingness to release the fear that causes it to remain in our soul. Mm -hmm. But fear is an experience, generally triggered by an experience, an energy that's triggered by an experience we've had that causes us now to have a false belief about that experience yep. from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we have fear about the experience. Yeah. And that's an emotion, it's an energy that's now either stored or, if it's an emotion, felt mm -hmm. inside of us. Yeah. And yeah. not referred to the outside in any way unless we store it. Yes, yeah, so that's another interesting thing you've said about fear is that it affects the way we perceive reality and different stimulus based on only if it's stored within us. Based on stored past experiences that we have not felt. Yep. Yes. Yep. Very important. Yes. Um, and it creates a, a what I would classify as an unrealistic expectation of our current experience. Mm -hmm. So what it does is it makes us see our current experience completely different to what it really is from God's perspective. And this is when you refer to a filter, this is what you're talking about. It's yes. this filter through which we see and experience and yes. analyse different events and situations. The emotion causes us to sense or feel that a future experience will mirror a past experience. Yeah. And therefore, we have a feeling, an emotion inside of us that gets created, that we wish to avoid that potential future experience. And, and, the, and that emotion is driven by, uh, sorry, that, that desire mm -hmm. is driven by the sensation of fear that exists within our soul that we haven't released. Which is stored. So Which this is, is stored. The stored sensation then um, begins to guide, actually, our it actions. It completely controls our actions, mm -hmm. completely. In fact, we become addicted and, in fact, in, we, we feel almost a sense of panic if we don't allow it to guide our actions. Yeah. In fact, the fear is triggered when we don't allow it to guide our actions. When we allow it to guide our actions, we then begin to believe we don't have any fear. Mm. That's the irony of a lot of these emotions is when we suppress them so strongly, we begin to think we don't have it, yeah. when actually that's guiding our every action. And this is why most people have no idea what's going on inside of themselves or why their painful experiences are being created every day because they don't understand how much they're suppressed and resisted and denied and emotions and, and the ones that we substitute for them are actually pushing our actions in mm. every direction. Mm. Yeah. So fear ranges from a slight, slight feeling of 
what would you call it? Anxiety. Anxiety, or... right the way through in its extreme cases to absolute terror. So, so there's a wide range of types of energy from this slight anxiety right the way through to absolute terror, which would all be able to be bundled into this banner of fear yep. as a type or group of different emotions that we either store or express. Mm. And really, they, from what we've talked about before, fear only becomes an emotion when it's expressed, doesn't it? Yes. When it's felt by us. Yes, it's only, all of these energies are only emotions when they are felt. Up until that point, they are potential energies, if yep. you like. They, they have potential to be felt. But again, how we use our will in our soul will determine whether they are actually felt or not. Uh -huh. And what we do with our will greatly determines what will happen to the emotion, yep. whether it gets stored or expressed. Yeah. Yep. And obviously you've said when it's stored, that's because there's been a fearful situation or event or circumstance in the past. Yes, or... with one extra thing happening, and that is it was suppressed. Yes. So the experience of it had to have been suppressed mm. in some way, either either by ourselves or by our someone or something in our environment. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So the next point we have in our notes is is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Unfelt fear becomes a desire yes. or an addiction to act upon. To yes. Put it another way. Yes. Yeah. If it's not really a pure desire, of course. So we could use the term desire in quotation marks. So, and by pure, you mean in harmony with love, or of course, every an time I mention a pure anything, yes. it's always something that's in harmony with God's love or God's truth. Okay. So parts of the teachings of divine truth is any time there's purity or sincerity or ethics in our our emotions, it's always going to be in harmony with God's love or truth. Any time there's any pain or other kinds of experiences, uh, uh, you know, unethical or so forth, then they are all going to be out of harmony with God's mm -hmm. love or truth. So I'm always, every time I talk about ethics or any of these other things, they're always going to be things that are in harmony with God's love and truth. Okay. So, so in this case, when I use the term desire, normally I would talk about desire that's in harmony with God's love or truth. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's a desire in quotation marks yeah. because it's addiction. Yeah. And it's an incessant feeling inside of the soul that's generated to mask the fear. Yeah. So the desire to suppress or deny or resist the fear causes an alternate construction. Mm -hmm. And the alternate construction is we then desire to have an addiction met that will suppress the fear. Yeah. And when I say desire, I use that term very loosely, loosely. there. Yeah. So now what's happening is that we've got all this fear inside of us that we're suppressing and not recognizing, but now we think that we have desires to do certain things <laughs> yeah. that we don't actually have a pure desire to do. It's driven by the fear itself to do it. So this is, a, if I can give an emotional example yeah. of this, uh, for example, a person who is in deep fear about what other people think about them will desire to please other people. And after a while, they'll think that the desire to please other people is pure, mm -hmm. but it's not. Mm -hmm. It's only driven by the desire to avoid certain things from those people. So in other words, it's an addiction. Yeah. It's not a pure desire. So it's going to create further pain. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's an, that's an emotional uh, example, I suppose you could say. A physical example could be just uh, taking substances. Mm -hmm. The desire to take a substance, like get drunk every day or every week, the desire to get drunk every week, obviously is very damaging to the human body. It's very damaging to your soul because you, you get overcloaked by spirits in a, in a drunken state. So it's damaging to your soul. You often do things that are out of harmony with love in that state. So it's also damaging to your soul because of what you choose to do with your will. And yet we choose to do that and we think we've got to do it. We think we've got to have a drink. It's driven by this feeling that we've got to have it. We can't live without it. And after a while we tell ourselves that we shouldn't live without it, that it's an essential part of our life. And we have all sorts of justifications there as well. And all of it is driven by the fear of a certain emotion. Mm -hmm. In the case of drinking, generally a fear of sadness. So. So it's all driven by a suppressed fear yeah. that's caused this so-called desire to come up and we then act upon this so-called desire and it's not a desire at all, it's an addiction. And that's the irony of our fears. Yeah, and what I like about what, how, what you're explaining in this question is that um, at the beginning you spoke about how most of us end up, we don't want to be sensitive to our fears, our anxieties, our terrors, and so we can get to this place where we believe we don't have any fear. Or we, or we know we have a few, but they're not, they're they're not, not causing any discomfort in our day-to-day -day life, yeah. generally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and further to that, we can even get to a point where we believe our deepest desires and heartfelt passions are really sincere and loving, but actually they are all in the pursuit of just avoiding fear totally as much driven, as we can. Totally yeah. driven by fear. So I see this with a lot of uh, the men who, who we see in our seminars. Many of them are women pleasers. Mm -hmm. Now they think that that is a pure desire yeah. and it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's out of harmony with love and truth. Quite often they are bending love and truth just to be pleasing the women. Yeah. Quite often they, if they were in harmony with love and truth they wouldn't be able to please their women under certain circumstances. But they choose to please their women because they think they've, they've got to and they, they feel driven to do it and they actually think it's a good thing. Mm. But it's driven by fear mm. of what the women will do when the man doesn't please them. Right? Yep. So, so what might the woman do? She might withdraw sex, for example, which means that he has a withdrawal. He has now been withdrawn. Any physical approval of his body has now been withdrawn. She may get angry and yell at him and therefore he knows that he's displeased her somehow and so forth. So he may be avoiding all sorts of painful experiences through this thing. Mm. So he, he then thinks it's a desire. He then thinks it's real and it's not. Mm. He has no desire actually internally to truly please a woman for no benefit at all. Yeah. In other words, none of his desire to please a woman is based around any pure desire within him that's in harmony with love and truth. Mm. All of his desires are completely out of harmony with love and truth mm. to please a woman. And of course it's going to cause further problems. Mm. The woman's going to become a monster eventually who, who basically demands everything from him. And sooner or later he'll have so much pain about it that eventually he'll rebel. Mm. <laughs> and that's the inevitable result of him taking such actions. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, so let's talk about finally something that you've said a lot in seminars that fear is actually false appearing real or true yes. from an emotional perspective yes so can you explain what you mean by this from an emotional perspective or? from an emotional perspective we believe something to be true when it's actually false so for example 
if I'm afraid, in the previous example I gave where, where the man is pandering to the woman, mm. he believes that pandering to the woman is going to create more love. That's a false belief. He believes that pandering to the woman will mean that the woman won't be angry with him. And that's a false belief. He believes that pandering to the woman is good from God's perspective. And that's a false belief. Yeah. He believes that pandering to the woman is loving her. And that's also a false mm -hmm. belief. He believes so many things that are false. Yes. And, and false beliefs are the creators of fear. Mm. And, because we're, and, and when I say fear, they are, these beliefs are emotional beliefs. They're not intellectual thoughts. Yeah. They are emotional beliefs that are all being generally created through the suppression of some emotion in the childhood. Mm -hmm. In other words, there were some painful experiences, in this case with the man, there have obviously been some painful experiences between men and women that he has been involved in in his childhood, which have now caused him to believe that he must take these particular actions in the suppression of his fear of those particular feelings. Yep. He wants to suppress the feelings, the true causal feelings, which are usually grief, mm -hmm. and he uses his fear, and fear was probably used on him mm -hmm. to suppress those, that grief. And then he acts now in his desires, which are actually addictions, in order to suppress the acknowledgement of the fear that he has in those situations. Yeah. And all of that is based upon false beliefs. False beliefs that he can't handle his pain. False beliefs about women. False beliefs about what men, good men do, yeah. and so forth. And in, oftentimes with any emotion, we may have a hundred false beliefs. So, you know, this is the complexity. This is why emotions become complex. Yeah. Because we often have so many false beliefs that are covering over the experience of the actual emotion that, that could heal us, that we go on with collecting more and more false beliefs and therefore suppressing more and more of our unexperienced emotions, mm. which of course causes so much damage to our soul. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. it's debilitating, isn't it? Yes. Fear. So fear is an interesting one. A group of it's an interesting group of emotions. Fear is because it's a, so because they are the types of emotions that create a layer over deeper heal healing based emotions. Yeah. So fear creates a layer over shame, fear creates a layer over grief and so forth. Yeah. And these kind of fear-based emotions then used in the justification of suppression. And so fear is unusual in that regard too, in that often when we deny fear, we then engage in large amounts of self-deception. Mm -hmm. and, and many people on the planet obviously have large amounts of self-deception because they are completely un, unacknowledging of their own fears, which are all there to prevent them from feeling deeper, more painful emotions. Yeah. Mm. yeah. There's so much to it, isn't there? And I know that as we go through this series, we're going to talk uh, more about fear and we're also going to address some questions um, from fearful people yes, yes. <laughs> who would like some answers. We're going to talk about fear, anger and all sorts of emotions in this series, obviously. Yeah because you know there's been hundreds and hundreds of questions asked about all sorts of emotions and as anybody who's ever listened to any of the seminars knows often people have interrupted me many times with all sorts of questions about emotions yeah. so we want to address a lot of these questions but it's very very important that people understand the dynamics of their emotions mm -hmm. and and what often they believe are desires are actually fears that are, that we use addictions to suppress and that's yeah. a sad state of affairs, unfortunately. So a lot of people think they're doing something they really want to do, 
when they're not doing it for any other reason than to suppress a deeper emotion. And also often some of the things that are really a part of our true nature and personality uh, we have fears associated with and so we feel like we don't want to do things that really when we deal with fear we discover we really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So it, it works both ways doesn't it? It does. We end yeah. up involved in activities and pursuits that uh, we think we really want to do but yes. are, are actually there because we're suppressing fear and we avoid things that really make us come alive yes. because we want to avoid fear. Correct, yeah. so if we look at the nature of this group of emotions that we could classify as fear, the nature of these groups of emotions is that we use fear to deny desire. Mm -hmm. So it actually, true desire, now, now I'm talking about pure desire, which is all based around God's love and truth, we, we are often suppressing pure or true desire because our addictions are substitute desire. Yeah. So, so fear has this nature where we're using substitutions for real desire. And that's the sad part about it. We think we're actually having desires that we're not actually having that are pure. Yeah. They're all driven by addiction in order to avoid fears. And, and this is why the majority of people have no idea what their pure desires are either, <laughs> because they're so full of fear that they want only their addictions met. Mm -hmm. and, so, and addictions are interesting too. Addictions are driven by this feeling that you've got to do it. You've got to do it. You know, yeah. just like a physical addiction is the same, isn't it? If, if you feel like you need a drink of alcohol, you've got to have a drink of alcohol now, you know. Yeah. If you feel like you need a cigarette, it's, I've got to have a cigarette now. I can't do anything else. And in fact, it becomes so demanding that you'll drop anything to, st to, to, to do it. To do it. Yeah. And that's the nature of fear-based addictions or desires. They are all, they all drive us incessantly to this point that we have to drop everything in order to achieve them. Mm -hmm. And they are not pure desires generally. They mm -hmm. are all fear-based desires mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or fear-based addictions, we should really call them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So fear so is an unusual emotion in a lot of ways, isn't it? It's, a, it's, an, it's an unusual group of emotions. Uh, that that we do all sorts of things to avoid. Yeah, yeah. If we recap then everything you've said, mm -hmm. uh, fear can be anything from anxiety to extreme terror, yes. mild anxiety to extreme terror. So it's a group terror. of emotions from anxiety to extreme terror. Yep. We're often, it can either be experienced as an emotion or suppressed. Correct. And then it, if it's suppressed, it creates filters or it, influences the way we make decisions and the way we see the world yes uh, in a negative way always in a negative it, way because it's out of fear is out of harmony with god's love and truth yep so so every time we suppress fear or store it within our soul it is always going to have a negative uh, reflection upon how we see the world and it's always going to create pain mm -hmm. always mm -hmm. it's always going to create pain and if we store it it's going to create suffering long-term pain yeah yep. yeah Okay, uh, yep, so then we get suffering and we can also end up in a situation where our desires are muddled, where they're not... Totally, we suppress pure. our real desires yep. and we act upon addictive desires. Yeah, yeah. Mm. okay. Mm. So, so I find if people understand the basic mechanics of fear and what happens, then when it comes to talking about fear and how we can address fears, 
obviously when we go back to these basic mechanics we'll be able to understand them better and therefore we can answer many hundreds of questions about fear in, in a few questions hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so just finally on that point we talked a lot about what happens when we suppress fear mm -hmm. um, but let's contrast that to when fear becomes an emotion and it flows. What what is the dynamic of what happens there and what effect does that have? Sure. When fear is felt, in other words experienced and flows, the, it's now energy in motion, mm -hmm. it's now an emotion flowing within the soul. It doesn't have any long-term detrimental effects at all, in fact. There, there, what will happen initially is you'll have a feeling of the fear itself and remember that will range from mild anxiety right the way through to absolute extreme terror. Yeah. And um, in that process of feeling the fear, you'll go through the bodily process of experiencing the fear. You'll go through the emotional process of experiencing the fear. But it will no longer attract any events and it will also no longer affect the filters mm -hmm. of the rest of your life. And so obviously, if you allow yourself or choose to feel your fears, it has some very, very good positive effects on your life. In other words, fear no longer guides any of your future actions or current actions. It no longer filters, no, no longer are your decisions filtered through mm -hmm. the fear itself. Mm -hmm. So the way you see the world is completely different to mm -hmm. how you would have seen the world before. Mm -hmm. And you also are no longer governed by the desire to meet its addictions. Yeah. So in other words, you're no longer driven to have certain addictions met to suppress your fear. Yeah. So obviously this is going to cause a lot of benefits to your life mm -hmm. uh, rather than detrimental effects on your soul. So basically you're saying when, when a stimulus comes along that... Uh, that generates fear mm -hmm. and we allow that yes then within that we allow the bodily experience of that fear and the sensation emotionally to pass through, through us. us that's yes. how it becomes in motion you actually feel you will feel it in your body and yeah. you'll feel the sensations you'll get sweaty and yeah. initially perhaps and then you might shake and yeah. all sorts of things might happen as a result you may finish up crying a lot or, or, or being absolutely terrified and find mm -hmm. yourself just screaming in terror. Yeah. Um, in the end, all of these things are far better than storing it. Uh -huh. And on, obviously this is, what, what, this is a problem with judgment that most of the people on the earth have is that they don't see screaming in terror as better than, than mm. suppressing it, mm. so they suppress it. Mm. And that's what causes the storage of the fear and then it causes these longer term detrimental effects on your your own life and your own health. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And when we do that, when we allow it, we have these benefits of staying in touch with reality, mm -hmm. uh, of love having the possibility to guide our actions rather than always being guided by, by the addictions. desire to yep. suppress fear. Yeah, which yep. are addictions. We'll always be guided by addictions while we have fear within us that mm -hmm. is suppressed. Mm -hmm. And so also within that you're saying that when we have suppressed fear, we always have to act to suppress it, obviously. Yes. It's an ongoing process of and that's why our, our will. That's why we have the imperative of maintaining our addictions. That's why it feels exhausting to live with fear well, when we're suppressing it all the time. 
Uh, well, for most people, they're not as exhausted as they really need to feel because the reality is they're getting all of their addictions to create the suppression of any feeling of exhaustion of suppressing right. their fear. So, <laughs> so they're, they're even layers above that, you know, that yeah. they're operating in. They're not even close to feeling their fear. When a person gets close to feeling their fear but is not yet feeling it, that's a period usually when they feel quite exhausted because you have to fight it quite strongly to, in order to suppress it. Yeah. Um, but once you get through whatever false beliefs and judgments that are, have occurred to cause you to do that, you'll just let yourself experience your fear. And that's when you go through that healing process with your fear. And so that's, that's then um, when we have been... So we have the opportunity first when the fear is created to feel it, mm -hmm. but then me most of us have by now suppressed the majority of that Correct. And from we, our childhood and beyond. And we're so used to doing it that it's automatic almost. Yeah. You know, it's like automatic no behaviour. Yeah. There's no even sense of fear. It's just straight to addiction. There's a belief inside of us that causes us to automatic suppress and we don't even think about it. There's hardly any, you know, there's no thoughts going on at this point. Yeah. We're just suppressing it immediately. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And you're <coughs> saying that's where most people live. Mm -hmm. Um, but then we have this choice now as adults to open up and to stop suppressing fear uh, and we have to go through a process of removing the addiction or well, not even, well there's it. a lo lot of layers which we can yeah. talk about later but yeah. they ro range from de complete denial and wanting to no longer deny even intellectually that you ha must have some yeah, yeah. right the way through to denial of the fear itself Right, which is all about your addiction. So in other words, you deny that you have any addictions. That yes. you, you think that all the things you do are in complete desire when none of them are. They're all in basically complete addiction. Yeah. And once you realise that, you then go through acknowledging your addictions and so forth and then you get to emotionally feel what the results are of most of your addictions and how icky you know, they feel, how bad they feel to mm -hmm. you. And then you go through that process and then now you come to some acknowledgement of, of your fears. Yep. And once you start getting to that place that you often feel exhausted and you feel because you Cause can't go. Fighting. Yeah, because you can't go back to your addictive processes yep. or suppression. Yep. But but you're also not yet going into your fear. And so you you're now in this state where you're now starting to feel anxious about having to go through your fear. But you don't want to revert back to other behaviors that are all suppressing your fear. Yep. And this is layer upon layer that you need to go through in order to get to the stage where you feel your fear. And most people but have not got to that state. No. Most people have heard us for six years haven't got to that state. They're still heavily in their addictions or denial of their addictions. Yeah. Um, usually that's the state that most people maintain for most of their life on earth. Mm. Uh, but presumably when we get past that final barrier that you talked about, mm -hmm. like willfully trying to, without using any addictions, just trying to hold on. Yes. Um, when we go over into now experiencing the fear that we've suppressed for so long. Yes, and to do that, you have to have released all of these barriers to doing so. All the stuff you put, the beliefs and the addictions and all of that stuff. Correct. But that process is presumably much more relieving. Yes, you, you have extreme relief, actually. <sighs> Your body goes through this relaxation process uh, you, on that particular subject, whatever that subject is that you're releasing your fear about, 
and you, your whole life changes instantly actually all of your attractions change instantly mm -hmm. uh, so once you really feel some of your fear all of your attractions change instantly the way in which you interact with every person around you on that particular subject is instantly changed mm -hmm. you see the world completely differently you see how God's created it completely differently than what you thought and and what was guiding your every thought and every feeling before and every action before and every word before now isn't guiding all of those things anymore so you're far more free to allow for uh, new experiences and new new feelings new thoughts that you were completely blocked to up until that point so, so it's an incredibly freeing experience once you actually get to feeling some of the fear yeah yeah. Sounds a, very attractive. Well, it is very attractive, and, <laughs> and that's the sad thing is that most people don't realise how attractive it is. Um, they don't realise how, how, how big the benefits are to actually getting to the point of feeling and experiencing your fears as they truly are. Uh, it is such a freeing experience that it changes your entire life, in fact. In fact, the only opposition to truth and love is fear in most cases. It's not grief, mm -hmm. it's fear of mm -hmm. grief. You know, so, so once you don't have any fear at all, you will process all of your emotions pretty much instantly yeah. and therefore you will have no resistance to love and truth yeah. inside of you. Yeah. And, and that's a beautiful place to be. You can get to the point where you can process every single thing as it occurs and not even have a negative experience while you do so. Mm -hmm. Once you've received enough of God's love to be in that condition. But while you've got fear, you will never never get into the state of being in the condition of being at one with God and therefore never get into the state where you will actually have permanent pleasure. Mm. Yep. Mm. So there are so many positive benefits of going through your fear. So many. Uh, and we can't list them all, obviously. No. Uh, but there are just so many in terms of how it changes your life, how it changes the life of people around you, how it affects your impressions on the environment, how it affects your projections onto the environment, how it affects the, every single living creature around you, how it affects every single organism that's within your body. Mm -hmm. All of those organisms change in their operation once you release fear on certain subjects. So it, there, there are so many changes that occur with that one, with that one proper release that uh, once you've done it once or twice, the average person, they'll, they'll not resist it anywhere near as much as they, they have done in the past. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The problem is getting a person to actually go through it at least once. <laughs> What's the famous quote? Someone, some great leader somewhere on, in the history of the earth said, the, oh, maybe it was Martin Luther King, I don't know. The, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like that, you know. Yes, yeah, so I think a lot of the times people have a large amount of fear about feeling fear. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't call that fear of fear I would call it a fear of feeling the sensation yes. of fear yeah. Yeah. which is a which is really a fear of pain yeah. that people are expressing and and I feel that if you have so much fear you'll never and, and you don't ever release it you will never experience the joy and peace that comes from the release of fear mm. and and your whole life will change in so many ways that most people it's impossible for most people to even understand how many ways their life will change once they release fear. Yeah. Their yeah. life changes in so many ways. It's, there's so many almost uncountable ways that life changes that you become conscious of after you've gone through the experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 
and you also have faith generally after the experience you have faith that processing emotion actually has a positive benefit until people go through their fear they normally don't have that faith at all i i feel it's difficult to have faith in even the goodness of god and the world around correct. us when we live in fear correct it's impossible to have real faith with fear yeah. fear as you really you get more faith fear you automatically find that you you have less fear mm. now, or I should i should say that it often happens the opposite way around as you get rid of fear you then gain more faith through mm. the process if people would only make the start yeah. and it's like a lot of the things with regard to divine truth if they'd only make the start <laughs> <laughs> then they'd realise the benefits and, and most people have yet to make a true start when it comes to actually allowing themselves to experience the fear that's within them. And it's where theory becomes practice and knowledge, isn't it? Correct. It, it's that's yeah. that start where emotion, real emotions begin, yes. long suppressed emotions begin to flow yes. and not just dealing with addictions, but that yes. is when truth comes to us isn't yes it? you will not know anything about emotions at all while you retain large amounts of fear in your soul that you don't experience mm. you must go through the experience of feeling your emotions before you'll start to understand a lot of things like desire and a lot of things like sadness and other emotions and addictions and all these other things you won't understand so it'll just be an intellectual presentation it won't be things you understand until you go through the feeling the actual feeling of your fear yeah. And this is why I say to people that feeling your fear is one of the most important things that you can do to come from a condition of sin into a condition of perfection. Mm -hmm. and, and fear is an enemy to your perfection. And rather than seeing it as something you should fear, you need to see it as something that you need to embrace so that it's no longer the enemy that you make it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I gave some talks about fear as your friend. Yeah. Fear tells you when you have false beliefs that are out of harmony with love. Fear tells you what you need to do inside of yourself. Fear is a, a friend in that regard, yeah. but, but it's a friend only if we allow its experience. Yeah. If, we, if we hold on to its experience and suppress its experience, it becomes a terrible enemy to our well-being then. Mm -hmm. But fear has the potential of being our friend as long as we embrace the process. And it, and it is, in fact, something that God helped us to, you know, God created the potential of these emotions. God didn't create the emotion of fear, so I must point that out. Yeah. The emotion of fear has only ever been created by humanity. And God does not have the emotion of fear inside of, inside of God at all. Yeah. And God does not engender fear inside of any one of God's creations. Yeah. So there's no need to fear God, for example. <laughs> God, God, though, created the potential through your free will for you to go into belief systems emotionally that are out of harmony with love and truth. Mm -hmm. And that means then that God created the, the potential for you to create fear. Mm. And fear is mankind's own creation. Mm. Perhaps that's a good way, place to leave it because our next question is going to be about sure. how fear, how is, fear created. is created. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. How is fear created? Well, there are numerous ways uh, of how fear is created. Um, but maybe if we look at four primary ways that fear is created, it'll give everyone a bit of an idea of where it actually comes from as an emotion. 
Firstly, um, fear is created whenever love is withdrawn. Mm -hmm. So this is a very important factor that most people need to understand about fear. Usually when we're in a situation where love, the feeling of love has been withdrawn from us, and by this I mean the feeling of love that we could feel before that situation began yes. is withdrawn from us because of the situation. Mm -hmm. We then have a tendency to fear the situations that cause the withdrawal of love. So, so maybe we could have some examples, yes. just some simple examples that are physical in nature. Yep. So let's look at a sample of like I'm afraid of a spider. Mm -hmm. Most people are not actually afraid of spiders when they're young, when they're little. In fact, many of people have probably have memories of picking them up and looking them in wonder. But when a parent has come along and expressed anger, rage and even sometimes violence towards the child for picking up the uh, spider, now there is a direct connection in the child between the actual physical thing they've picked up, the spider, yeah. and the withdrawal of love, the, which is the fear-based expression of the parent. Yeah. So the, the parent has gone into violence, or at least into rage, mm -hmm. or fear, mm -hmm. which all cause the withdrawal of love. Mm -hmm. And when we have withdraw love withdrawn from us, most people have, feel that quite terribly when we have love withdrawn. And as a result, we now link the withdrawal of love to the event. Yeah. So in other words, instead of blaming the withdrawal of love on the fact that our mum or dad are being stupid <laughs> or the fact that they have got fear or whatever else, the little mind, you know, the child's mind doesn't make all of those assumptions. It just has a very simple equation within it and that is I took an action, I picked up a spider, mum and dad went berserk yeah. right, and perpetrated all of this unloving actions towards me as a result, I now feel afraid of the spider yeah. because love has been withdrawn. Mm -hmm. So that's a large reason why love gets withdrawn, uh, why fear yeah. gets created, the, the withdrawal of love from the individual. Mm -hmm. and, um, and most people uh, who have childhood fears and childhood, what do we call them now? Um, where, where phobias, phobias yeah. uh, they are all caused by the withdrawal of love in certain situations. So the reason why someone might be afraid of a snake or a spider or any physical creature is usually always being caused by the withdrawal of love in the same situation. And of course I'm sure we could go into many other subtleties or, or not so subtle things but less tangible things, couldn't we, in childhood um, where a child is in a situation where maybe even mum and dad are just having an argument yes. and love, they don't feel There's a love. There's a withdrawal of love in an argument. And so then there's an association and fear exists so, around whatever the... So now there's an association in the child yeah. regarding relationship yeah. with the opposite gender. Yeah. And whenever there's a raising of voices or whatever, they know fear is going... They, through their fear, the fear is created because yeah. they believe now love will be withdrawn. Yes. So, so somebody might, might be able to be sort of angry and not sin, you know. So yeah. somebody might be angry and just go into a room and just express their anger. Yeah. But the person who's sitting outside who's had that childhood experience will feel love's being withdrawn from me now. I'm afraid, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, I'm What's afraid. Gonna happen? What's yeah. wrong with that person? And this yeah. is why a lot of people are afraid of a person who feels their anger, even if that person feeling their anger is doing so in complete harmony with love and truth. Yeah. So, so, so this is the sad part about what happens emotionally is we have all of these things about, from the withdrawal of love, 
all of these associations have made emotionally inside of the child, which then causes the child to falsely believe that certain things will occur. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when that child grows to be an adult, the childlike emotion is frozen at the point that it's created. Yeah. So in other words, if it was a three-year-old experience, the child is going to act like a three-year-old in every one of those experiences, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right, until that emotion is released. Yeah. So, so if a, a person goes into a room and expresses rage, the child who has net to release this fear of the anger between mum and dad and how it was expressed is going to go into terror about somebody even doing something that's quite safe. Yeah. And, and, and so therefore the, the, the adult is really acting like a child at the same age. <laughs> yeah. Which is another way, problem with fear in that fear has, when it's created, has created at the age it's created. Yeah. So, so this is why we have unreasoning fears with regard to some phobias. Mm -hmm. Because at the age those phobias were created, we couldn't reason. And as a result, it's like this terrible terror goes through us. Uh, and it's very childlike because, you know, we're an adult now with this little tiny spider and we're afraid. What's going on, you know, yeah. or a mouse or whatever it is that we're afraid of. Yeah. And, and these are all because of the associations are now locked within us mm -hmm. at the age in which they were created. Yeah. And so that's why we have such an unreasoning uh, response to the emotion yeah. flowing. Yeah. And that's why we want to suppress it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So there's the withdrawal of love that can create fear. What else can create fear? The second thing is the withdrawal of truth. Of course, truth and love from God's perspective go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. they, they are joined. And as a result of that, every time love is withdrawn, truth is usually also withdrawn. And every time truth is withdrawn, love is also usually withdrawn. So in a childhood experience, you know, it could be where we went home, for example, and, and we told mummy and daddy that we told our next door neighbour they weren't very nice because that's what mummy said, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, mummy then goes berserk, yeah. uh, telling us that we should have lied. Uh -huh. Now truth is withdrawn and love is withdrawn in that moment. Yeah. So now we become very afraid of telling somebody the truth. Yeah. Very afraid. And that fear will be locked up at that age. Yeah. So if it happened when I was five, I will feel like a five-year-old every time I'm put in a position where somebody's asking me for the truth. Mm -hmm. Every time. Yeah. I'll feel like a five-year-old because that emotion has yet to be released from me. And, and so I am going to have the feeling that something terrible is going to happen by telling the truth. Mm. Right? So this is the sad effect of truth being withdrawn. It causes fear to then changes our filter. Yeah. And therefore, we then, we then think and feel that every time truth is confronted, we'll almost have a tendency to want to lie mm. automatically without even understanding why. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, with that example, having truth withdrawn, I was just um, wondering about things like racism or um, things where there is no truth coming from our environment as a child mm -hmm. on a certain issue. So truth is withdrawn in that sense. There's no truth about uh, that everyone is one of God's children, that we're all equal. Yeah, I would classify that as another type of experience, which okay. is lies masquerading as truth, which is uh -huh. another, you know, which is, I think, the fourth one we've got on our list Oh, here. okay, sorry, yeah. I'm jumping ahead. I didn't yeah. say that. Yeah. Because uh, to me, that kind of example is where lies, which is I'm big, better than you, is a lie, mm -hmm. and I'm better at you because I'm a different colour than you is a, is a, is a double lie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and those are lies masquerading. Curating as truth. They always cause fear to be created inside of the individual. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, I feel that's that kind of flavour of the creation of of, of the fear-based emotion. Got you. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah. Love's withdrawn, truth withdrawn, lies masquerading as truth. Lies masquerading as truth. Yep. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little yep. more. This is something that is well uh, done here on earth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I Absolutely. say well done, it's sad that it's so well done. Yep. But most people have no idea how many lies they're told in the course of a day that, that they then believe are truths. And unfortunately, they create fears within the soul. So, for example, example, the snake's poisonous, it will bite you, right, is a lie masquerading as a truth. Mm -hmm. But snakes don't want to bite you. Yeah. <laughs> they usually only bite when they're afraid. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So generally, a person who's not afraid of a snake can generally just pick up a snake and they'll be fine. Yeah. Right? So a snake will only bite you when they're afraid. Yeah. So that's the truth. Yes. But, but see, that's not what's said. What's said to the child is, it's a snake, it will bite you and it's poisonous. Yeah. In other words, you're going to die or you're going to get very sick if you, if you allow this snake to bite you. So you're better off killing the thing. Yeah, right. certainly be very afraid <laughs> yes. of the snake. There's a feeling of, of needing to be afraid of this snake as a result, right? Yeah. And this is, this is, these are lies masquerading as truth. We don't understand, as adults many times, we don't understand the physical effect that has on the child. It enters the child as an emotion, mm -hmm. right? on a lot of levels mm -hmm. and and unfortunately they then believe that for the rest of their life and base many of their actions around it and mm -hmm. creates emotion within a child of fear yeah. about those particular things occurring so if the parent has a fear of death mm -hmm. or a fear of getting sick right both fears are also lies yeah there's no need to fear death because we continue living and there's no need to feel getting, fear getting sick because it is an indication there's something wrong emotionally. It's just a response to an emotion. There's no need to be afraid of it. So there's no need to be afraid of any of these things, right? But the fact the parent has the fear means there's with often a combination now occurring with the child. The child has love withdrawn from it because their parent's in fear. The child is told a lie, which is another withdrawal, it's a withdrawal of truth, mm -hmm. another fear. And the child is, ha have truth that has lies masquerading as truth presented yeah. to it in other words now there's three different creators in the one event yeah. of why the child has so much fear and it's all emotional it's all stuff now that's been created emotional through the event and and man that makes it very very difficult for the child later in life to actually deal with the phobia of snakes yes because yes. there's all these lies and there's, <laughs> there's yeah. all this truth withdrawn and there's all this love withdrawn all at the same time yeah yeah and 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 of course the child is going to feel quite confused and often not only confused but quite distressed yeah. about those circumstances and because it's distressed and then suppressed mm -hmm. it's locked up that emotion at that age yeah. so now that the adult 35 years old looks at a snake and responds as if it was three years or four years old yeah. it responds in the same way yeah. with the same responses even though it's now an adult is able to protect itself, there's nothing to fear, it has more control over its environment than it did when it was a child, even though all those things are true, mm -hmm. the, child, the adult doesn't think those things are true because it's thinking like a child. Yeah. Because the emotion of the child, which is locked up inside the adult, is driving the entire proceeding. Yeah, so you're actually saying that fear is created when these events happen when we're a child. And then you're saying, and then it's usually suppressed, which means that we carry that fear. 
Yes. Yeah. Yep. So yep. Um, fear is created and as we mentioned in the previous question, we have the opportunity just to feel it and it will be gone, um, but usually it's suppressed. And so these things that happen when we're adults, when we begin to feel afraid, it's not the creation, that's not creating fear. It's the thing that was suppressed. The original creation happened a long time ago. Yes. Presumably if we were a child and we allowed, we were allowed to feel the fear as it was created. Well, by definition, that's probably not going to be the case <laughs> because uh -huh. most parents inculcate these particular fears inside into the child and suppress them on purpose. Yeah. So it's very unlikely that the child feeling all of that fear would have been allowed to experience it. Because it is the parent's own suppressed fear that is generating the fear in the child. And also generating the withdrawal of love, the withdrawal of truth and the lies masquerading as truth. So, so all of these things are happening because of the parent's condition. It's highly unlikely the parent then is going to allow the child to feel it <laughs> because the parent hasn't even learnt to allow itself to feel it. Yeah. So, yeah. so the reality is that yes, in theory, if the child was allowed to experience all of those emotions, it would have been fine. But in practice, it's not allowed to experience all of those emotions. And that's why the parent is, is pushing these things on the child in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, in practice, yeah. it, it, it's very highly unlikely for the child to go through a complete experience where they're allowed to feel the fear in the moment that the fear is created. Mm. Okay, let's talk about the fourth way that mm -hmm. fear is created. Mm -hmm. um, so this is having codependent addiction masquerading as love. Yes. This is a juicy one. Yes, so remember, if we look at, there's a relationship between everything we're looking at. So remember I said there's withdrawal of truth mm -hmm. and then there's the lies masquerading as truth. Yep. So with regard to truth, they are the two sources, the primary sources of damage to the child in terms of fear. Uh -huh. With love, there's love being withdrawn or lies masquerading as love, which is addictions masquerading as love. Uh -huh. So it's the same principle. Yeah. So, so this fourth principle, which is lies masquerading as love or really addictions masquerading as love. In other words, nice feelings masquerading as the real nice feelings. <laughs> yeah. so fake nice feelings masquerading as real nice feelings. So, so this is uh, the kind of feelings that cause a shutdown inside of the person with fear. So, so for example, the child starts to feel something from this environment, right? And becomes a little afraid of what's going on. The parent picks up the child and hugs the child mm -hmm. and says, there, there, you don't have to feel this, right? In that moment, the parent is in an addictive masquerade of love with the child. They're not really loving the child because the real love of the child would allow them to experience their own terror and fear. Would they pick up the child? They may pick up the child, but mm -hmm. they would never go there for you would never don't have to feel this fear. No. They, say, You're they okay would allow to feel the fear to be yeah. felt. Yeah. In fact, they would actually say the opposite. They'd yeah. say, you can feel this fear. Mm -hmm. right? They'd teach their child that they have the capacity to feel the fear. Yes. But when they go, no, 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 it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. All the parent's really doing is allaying their own fear, yeah. right? So the parent is teaching the child to suppress fear through a masquerade of love. Mm -hmm. Addiction, in mm -hmm. other words. Mm -hmm. They're teaching the child to become addicted, right? Which is always going to create worse situation and more fear. Yeah. Right? Very, very damaging thing to do to the child. 
And it's often these, these so-called loving things that we do to the child, which are actually addictions, that are the more damaging because they are harder to unravel. Mm -hmm. It's often easy for the child to see when love was withdrawn than it is for the child to see when there was an addiction masquerading as love. Yes. And it's often easier for the child to see when truth is withdrawn mm -hmm. than it is for the child to see a lie masquerading as truth. Yes. So the problem with the masquerading emotions is that they create further things to unravel intellectually and emotionally for the child. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's sometimes more difficult to recover from a, a so-called non-abusive quotation loving environment yeah which is really all based around addictions and lies, yeah. than it is to recover from a blatantly unloving and untruthful environment where somebody has been abused. Mm. And, and this is the problem that we face, is that the reason why it's often easier to recover is because the masquerade is more difficult to detect than the actual withdrawal. Yeah. And this is a problem with recreation of fear. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, most of our fears revolve around the masquerade not around the withdrawal. Yeah. So, so what we end up f having is these deep masquerades of love and, and lies masquerading as truth. So addictions masquerading as love and life masquerading as truth. And we see these two things in, in the life going on and we believe them to be truth and love. And then we don't understand why we have so much fear. Yeah. The reality is we have huge amounts of fear related to those things because they are all masquerades. And they are very, very difficult to unravel. And they've given us false definitions of what is real. Correct. What is really truth and what is really love. They and have totally distorted reality from God's perspective. And so, of course, we're going to live in a lot of fear. Yes. Uh, when you live in total distortion of reality from God's perspective, you will have lots of fear. Mm -hmm. And you won't even know it. Mm -hmm. You won't even know it. You'll think you'd have none, in fact. You think you'll be brought up by a loving, uh, happy family, and loving environment but as soon as somebody starts triggering you the emotions that are triggered show you wow this is painful yeah. this shows me I, I must have had a lot of stuff masquerading going on yeah. if this is such a painful experience and this is often the cause of, of deep d diseases that kill you so mm -hmm. cancers for example are a lot about lies masquerading as truth and and addictions masquerading as love and mm -hmm. um, you know when you trace them back to their sources you'll see Generally, that's what's occurred in the families of people who get cancers. Mm. And, and they are very, very damaging emotions that cause the destruction of your physical body along with the harm to your soul and the harm to the soul of those creating them. And, and yet we have often no idea that they're occurring. In fact, many, most, of, most of society believes that many of the lies are true yeah. and that many of the addictions are love. Yeah. And you see this all the time. So and you everywhere. see it, you know, you see it in television shows, you see it in newspaper clippings, you see it, you see it in the way society works, yeah. even. There's all these addictions that are masquerading as love and lies masquerading as truth. And and the majority of us have a sense that it's something wrong. And also the majority of us are in a lot of pain as a result of these things occurring. And yet we make no change because there's a lot of fear associated with them. Yeah. And, and it is very difficult to confront the masquerade. In fact, it's the confrontation of the masquerade that is often more explosive than just the confrontation of the facts. Yes. Right? 
you know, in other words, knowing that you had with love or truth withdrawn is a confrontation of the fact. A confrontation of the masquerade is you, you've had love and truth withdrawn, but they th say that you haven't. Yeah. And that's a, con a confrontation of the masquerade. And that is very, very difficult. And, and usually that's when all sorts of family issues come up. You know, families don't talk to each other for years and years because when you start confronting the masquerade, yeah. most families want to keep the masquerade. Yes. Uh, whereas a family generally who's withdrawn love and truth will be honest and say, yeah, I probably didn't love you or yeah. I, I probably didn't you know, care about you. That's yeah. true. <laughs> and know. for the individual, that helps them to uh, be more honest which helps them with their fear. Yes. Whereas when there's an ongoing denial of the very situation that generated the fear, yes. it is much harder to begin to... There's a whole other range of fears that have to be gone through in order to connect with... Well, you have to unravel all of the addictions. Yeah. And, that, that, and the addictions are going to be intense when there's lies masquerading as truth and, and addictions masquerading as love. Yeah. The addiction level is going to be intense to feel yeah. And as a result, many people who start that process, you know, take four or five years before they get beyond that process, even when they're doing it sincerely. Yeah. Because there is a lot to unravel. Yeah. And, and it's because of the masquerade. Yeah. So it's one thing to do a certain thing. It's another thing to lie about it and tell the person that it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even yeah. though it did happen. It's like, it's like punching someone in the nose and telling them it didn't happen. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's a lot worse than punching someone in the nose and actually saying, yeah, I did do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, often there's a fear of even saying, no, you did punch me in the nose because there's a fear of another punch in the nose. Correct. Um, yes. Uh, Not only another punch in the nose, but a complete denial and ridicule of the fact that you believed it happened. Yeah. And it's just so damaging. It just causes so many layers of problems inside of the soul. And this is the major creator of these fears. Mm. So fear is mostly created by those fourth series of events occurring. Yeah. And usually it's not one of them by themselves. It's uh -huh. usually, one, you know, usually in tandem or all four occurring at the same time yeah. that causes most of our fear. So just to recap, mm -hmm. there's having love withdrawn. Yes. Having truth withdrawn. Yes. Having codependent addiction masquerading as love. Yes. And having lies masquerading as truth. truth. Yes. And you sort of highlighted them with some physical examples, but obviously all of these things apply in terms of the emotional environment. Far more so. Yeah. Far more so apply emotionally. You know, yeah. the, what happens emotionally is far worse often than the physical. Sometimes, though, it helps us to look at a physical event and say, oh, well, yeah, I can see it quite plainly occurring there. Yeah. But from an emotional perspective, yes, far more serious because, because most people are desensitised from their emotions as well, mm. which means that we are not sensitive to the fact that these particular things have occurred emotionally. And that makes it very, very difficult for us to, to actually really face our true fears. Mm -hmm. And so for most people, the majority of their true fears are emotional. They're not physical <laughs> in nature or intellectual in nature. They're all emotional. They are all based on belief systems that are deeply ingrained emotionally inside of them as a result of those four things being engaged by their environment, by people in their environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. You know, you, you get it at school, you get it at work, you get, but when a child's growing up, obviously it's mostly at home and at school. Mm -hmm. And both schools and home generally encourages the lie masquerading as truth and the, the addiction masquerading as love. Mm. And unfortunately, 
uh, it causes huge amounts of damage to the child. So by the time we're 12, 13, 14, 15, we've got so much damage that now there's law of attraction going on. Where, so the God's law of attraction is bringing to us a consciousness of this damage. But we're in so much denial of even trying to be conscious of it at that age. Mm -hmm. Many times it's not until our pain increases to such a point, and usually that starts occurring during our 30s or 40s or 50s, that we start analysing what actually happened during our childhood. Mm. Mm. Very Sarah, thank mm. you. What are addictions? <laughs> well, addictions are the result of suppressing emotions inside the soul, such as fear or painful emotions, such as grief. That uh, in an attempt to do so, we have to create a whole other group of emotions that, are, that we call desires, uh -huh. that are, help us to deny, suppress, resist or substitute mm -hmm for painful emotional experiences. And, and so addictions are inside of the soul yeah. and they're created by, a, a, they're basically desires that are created by the suppression of certain fears. Gotcha. In particular fears, but it could also be the suppression of other types of emotions such as grief. Or shame. Or shame or other yeah. kinds of emotions. So, so addictions are very, very powerful tools to avoid painful emotions. Mm. And as such, most people find, have a huge struggle giving them up. Yeah. And particularly giving them up if they're emotional, but even if they're physical addictions, giving them up is often very, very difficult. Okay, so let's talk about that because you, in your... Let's talk about the types of addictions. The right? types of addictions, yeah. yeah. Um, and in your preamble there, you basically just said that uh, they're all emotional, really. They are all emotional. Yeah. Well, they're... they're generated by the, by the desire to suppress certain emotions Okay, is probably more accurate. Yeah. So then addictions can take different forms, but they're all generated by an emotional desire to suppress, suppress. fear. Or desire, deny or resist or, or substitute, gotcha. put something in lieu of. Yeah. Great. You know, sometimes it's easier to suppress an emotion by having another one instead. Yes. <laughs> for example. So let's talk about that. There's three main forms of addiction. Yes. And the first being emotional. Of course. So, so, so emotional is where we're using an emotion mm -hmm. that has to come from either within us or outside of us. Yep. And usually it comes from outside of us because it doesn't exist within us. Yeah. So usually it's an emotion we expect someone in our environment to give us yep. in order to suppress or deny or resist replace or a, replace yeah. a negative painful feeling that we have inside of us. Okay. So, you know, we could come up with probably examples there of what, you know, of what uh, are such emotions. So, for example, between a husband and wife, there could be very many emotional addictions, couldn't there? Like, if I don't want to feel lonely or unwanted or, or, or unsafe, un unattractive or unsafe, yes. I could want my husband to supply all, all of those, of those emotions things. to me. That would be emotional addiction. And you'll think you're in love with him when he does. Yes. <laughs> feel super <laughs> you attracted. You feel super attracted to him because yeah. he supplies your addiction 
of your, you know, safety. He supplies your addiction to make yourself feel good about yourself. He yeah. supplies your, and because he's supplying all of these addictions, you'll just think you're head over heels in love with him when reality is it's all codependent addiction. Yeah, because you know what happens? <laughs> when you're near that person, suddenly all these things that you're trying so hard, to, you have the active desire to suppress, yeah. suddenly in the presence of that person, they, you don't feel that and them anymore. You don't feel them anymore. And you find it really, really easy to suppress yeah, when you're with them. They're easy to suppress, so you think, this is great being with this person. This must this be love. This is love. Yeah. This is love. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not. <laughs> it's just an emotional, codependent addiction. And obviously, the other person usually has to be getting something out of it as well. You're probably giving something to them emotionally. Of course. Yes. Of course. They're, you know, yeah. they're probably getting something in return for supplying these particular emotions to you. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be in the relationship with you yeah. unless they believe that that's all they're worth, which of course many people do yeah. because of how they've been treated when they're young. Yeah. So, so, so you have two groups of people generally created in these emotional codependent addictions. There's one group of addictions who are, uh, of people who I'd call the abuser of the mm -hmm. addiction, mm -hmm. and there's the other one who's called the supplier of the addiction. Yeah. The abuser of the addiction generally is the person who demands the addiction be met, and the supplier and feels like they have a just right to expect that addiction to be met. Mm -hmm. And the supplier of the addiction generally feels that they should meet that addiction and that's the loving thing to do. That's how they obtain their worth. That's how they obtain their worth. In yep. other words, they have low worth yep. and they give their worth, they get their worth by supplying the addiction to the abuser. Yes, yeah. gotcha. And when I say abuser, I'm referring to almost all marriage relationships on this planet at the moment are generally have one abuser and one supplier. Mm. Um, and most of them think they're in love. Yeah. <laughs> At least initially. At least initially. Um. <laughs> of course, because it's impure emotion and out of harmony with God's love and truth, eventually it creates pain. So yes. after a while, they don't believe they're in love anymore. <laughs> yeah, but, but oftentimes the pull of the emotional addiction is so strong that they don't remove themselves from that relationship or they seek another one. That will That's identical. Yes. yes. So they'll go from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship. That's identical. Or you find people making swaps to opposites. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they were abused in one relationship. Yep. So they were the abuser in one relationship. So they got very angry about the abuse that occurred in that relationship. And so with the next relationship, they become the abuser. Yes. Of the relationship. Yeah. In other words, they have all the demands and the expectations, and the other person must fulfil them. And is it possible for an for a couple to be in the situation where one is the abuser in one area and and the other is the abuser in the, another area? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It depends completely upon the emotional experience of both of them when they were children. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that... So And usually that's in practice what happens. So mm -hmm. one abuses in one area, one abuses in the other, and they, you know, they make allowances. Uh, yes. They, you know, they're told to, in marriage counselling, to yeah. compromise with each other yeah. on these issues. So they make allowances for each other's abuse yeah. and the other makes allowances for each, each other the times someone's given them some love. Yes. And of course they think that's a loving relationship and it's not. Yeah. Of course a loving relationship. It's a codependent relationship mm -hmm. primarily, but the majority of people are in them. To me, uh, and I can I say, go ahead. The main reason why they're in them is because they meet their addictions or the majority of their addictions, and and the reality is, if somebody meets none of your addictions, it's highly likely you don't like them. 
<laughs> Unless we are a person who's humble to some of these emotions yes. of fear, shame, grief, yes. then, and that's what I found from this example we we're talking about, is that we're so driven by addiction in our life that mm. it's basically the primary thing we're seeking unless we're humble to some of those other emotions. Correct. And entire relationships, marriages, families, professions, it's all based on Correct. the avoidance of these these feelings. Yes. And it's an epidemic, it's an a epidemic, global yeah. epidemic. It's the worst epidemic. It's worse than any disease. Yes. Worse, yeah. Because it creates most diseases as well, by the way. Yeah. So it's worse than any disease. Yeah. And and like this is one reason too why I, I'm probably one of the least like people <laughs> is because yeah. when because I don't feed people's addictions very much at all, if at all. Yeah. The majority of people don't feel comfortable when they're around me. Yeah. Even though I'm being loving to them and truthful with them, they don't feel comfortable around me because I'm not feeding what they define as addiction. As they well, sorry, they define as love. Yeah. But it's just love masquerading. Yes. Like it's just addiction masturbating as love. Yes. That's all it is. Yeah. And uh, it is one of the main reasons, uh, one of the main you know, ways we manage to avoid darker and more painful emotions. Mm. Hence the desire for it is so being so strong. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so emotional, the emotional way is the first way. And that's seemingly the, the biggest a lot of addictions on the planet would you say? Well I don't know I you know if you look at the how addictions are when you look at the three in yeah, the list in the end that. you probably would have to say that they're all pretty much well <laughs> and extensively used by the majority of people yeah. but I think the emotional ones are sometimes the more difficult ones to see. They're sort of insidious aren't and they're they? insidious and they have less judgment attached to them yeah. and what I mean by that is that many times the physical addictions have some judgments attached to them whereas the emotional addictions don't have any judgments attached to them. In fact, we judge them as loving and nice. Mm. Uh, in fact, they are supported in society most of the time. And because of that, unravelling emotional addictions are, is one of the most difficult undertakings that a person will ever need to undertake mm -hmm. in their relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Because God is always wanting you to unravel all of your emotional addictions. <laughs> Because yep. <laughs> obviously God wants to help you to get what's underneath them, which are all your fears and, and the painful emotions that you need to experience, that will heal you. So God's created a whole law system in the universe towards the human soul, triggering the fact that when you follow your addictions, you're going to have a more painful life. And this is why most people follow their addictions and eventually see the pain from following their addictions. And then they stop following that addiction only to substitute with another mm. and then follow that addiction. And, and unless we are very sincere, we will never get to the real cause of most of our emotional addictions. Yeah. 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 We have to be very sincere to get there. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. Because with God, everything has to be very sincere. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It, it requires deep honesty mm. and wouldn't you want to know yourself that well? Yes. And wouldn't God want you to know yourself that yes. well? So it requires a huge amount of exercise of your will to actually get to the state where you really do want to know what your addictions are mm -hmm. because those emotional addictions are covering over all the things that can heal you if you experience them. Yeah. So, so you definitely want to get there. 
And this is one reason also why most, if not all, uh, processes that people have for their emotions don't work. Mm. Because the majority of them work around the addiction. So the addiction remains in play. And while the addiction remains in play, you will never feel the true causal emotion. Yeah. So, so, of course, most of these techniques that people have to get to their emotions actually do not work. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have a sincere desire to face your real addictions, and firstly, this first group, the emotional ones, are the most difficult to face, probably because they are the most insidious, and you, you are going to very much struggle in your relationship with God or even your relationship with yourself mm. or your relationship with anyone else mm -hmm. because you're not going to be real while you have those addictions. Yeah. Okay, mm. let's go on to the next group. So what's the next group? <laughs> well, well, I'll outline, I'll let you know the next two. So yes. we've firstly, we've discussed emotional addictions. So we've first focused on the emotions. Yep. Yep. Then we have physical addictions and substance addictions. Yes. So, so let's separate the yeah, two of those. Yeah. I've separated these two on purpose because physical addictions are not always substances. Yes. They can be situations mm -hmm. that create your comfort. Yeah. So, for example, you know, a lot of people when they've been had a hard day's work, the first thing they need is to go home and sit in front of the telly. Yeah. Right, so it's no longer, it's not a substance they're abusing there, mm. but rather a situation that makes them feel comfortable to help them to avoid, help them avoid yeah. the stuff that's triggered them during the day. Mm -hmm. And that's an addiction, it creates an addiction. This is why video games, TV, you know, situa situations where you want to go down the beach all the time or you've got to jog every morning or, yes. you know, things that you've got to do every day yeah. are all an indication of physical ways that you're using to avoid specific things. And so therefore, therefore they are physical addictions. Yeah. 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 And these physical addictions can also be quite insidious because the majority of them are not frowned upon by society. No. So society accepts them. Heck, most of society <laughs> is engaged in exactly. a vast number of them. And in fact, society's <laughs> whole businesses are created yeah. for them in yeah. society. That's the reality. So, yeah. so physical addictions are just as insidious a lot of times mm. as emotional addictions because most of the time we believe we like them, but we have no idea why we like them. And we feel that the imperative to have them, even though we've got no idea why there's such an imperative to have them. Yeah. And, and they're usually a very, very strong. As soon as they are taken away from us, these particular things, these circumstances. So if we come home and the television's broke, yes. then the average person reverts to rage. Yes. And there's the indication of the addiction. Yes. Uh, they get angry. Yeah. Every time you get angry, you're indicating the addiction's in play, what it is. Yeah. And so we have a way of measuring your addiction yes. through anger. And we'll talk about anger later. Yeah. But the physical addictions I find interesting because they are, again, another set of addictions that are generally accepted, acceptable to society. Yeah. Most people in society are completely unaware of how they're using them in an addictive way to suppress emotion. Mm -hmm. And also they have, are unaware of the dangers of, that these particular addictions cause. Mm -hmm. And then the opposite swing of society is some society do see these particular addictions and so they create a whole heap of laws like you shouldn't watch telly or you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, you know. 
they create so mean? some religions for example start oh, creating laws of what should and shouldn't be done yes and they become very strict about what needs to yes. be done with with physical addictions because they see them as addictions yeah. but but they're afraid of them still yes so so instead of instead of uh, acknowledging that you could use it and it's an exercise of your will they take away your right to use it they try to decline you access to your own will yes mm. and inherent in that though is the assumption that every part or every use of that physical activity or situation or event is addictive and yes. that's not necessarily the case either definitely is it? not in fact you can use many of these physical things as completely the opposite yes you can actually, and the same applies to your emotions, of course. Yeah. You can use them in a completely opposite circumstance and actually find the addiction you have yeah. and find the fear that is underneath yes. them by, by engaging in some activities with a different exercise of your will. And, and also the, the um, desire driving that activity might not be to suppress. It might be, as you said, to find the, the addiction. Correct. But also it might be just that we feel like going for a walk is a good thing to do for our body. We don't feel compelled to do it through the desire to control Correct. our body or suppress our emotion. Correct. We just feel like uh, it's a healthy thing to do. I'm going yeah. to go and do it. Yeah, the key is if you take away the physical act, mm -hmm. what does the person do? Yeah. If they get angry, annoyed, upset, in, in fact, from slight annoyance onwards, mm -hmm. they are in addiction with it. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's the measure of whether the addiction's in play or not. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's a very good thing yeah. to point out. Yeah. yeah. Now, that was the second one, that, so that's so physical. physical and we've separated that from substances, yep. for, I think for fairly obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Substances are addictions that you can get met um, through the imbibing of yep. certain things that make the addiction seem to disappear. So they make, make the, the emotions. underlying emotions yes. seem to disappear. Sorry. Yep. Now this is like substance abuses, if you like. So mm -hmm. alcohol, drugs, but they could also be substances that, again, society doesn't seem to have much of an issue with, like food, for example. Yes. Or, or coffee. Coffee or those tea or those yeah. kind of substances where that seemingly very innocent, and yet they're being used heavily to suppress fear-based emotions. Mm -hmm from being felt. Mm -hmm. So these substances, we could break the substances area into two areas, societal accept, society accepted yes. and society unaccepted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the society accepted are ones that generally the most of us use <laughs> and feel quite comfortable using and have plenty of justification to use um, in our own internal feelings. Yep. And then there's the society unaccepted. And that is the ones that generally are acknowledged of causing the rest of society a lot more damage than the average addiction. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where drugs fall into that category, for example, yeah. and alcohol abuse falls into that category. Mm -hmm. so, so a person's allowed to be addicted to alcohol as long as they don't get drunk all the time and it affects everybody else. Yes, affect everyone else. So in other yeah. words, they're allowed an addiction to a certain point Mm -hmm. But once the addiction goes beyond that point and turns into where we can't really carry on our life in a self-determined manner yes. from the judgment of society's perspective, yeah. then of course it's now judged from society as bad and therefore needs to be legislated in some way generally. 
Yeah, and that's interesting, isn't it, when you're saying we're not functioning how society deems that we should be able to function. Mm -hmm. When, from God's perspective, any kind of reliance on any of these things, emotional, physical or substances, means that we're not functioning in the optimal way. Anyway, we're using a habit, an emotion to function. And that in itself is saying there's a big problem yes yeah so if we look at these three basically the first one was emotional yeah and that's you can see that it's all to do with the relationships that you engage in mm -hmm. generally mm -hmm. the second one is physical and that's yep. all to do with the habits you have yes and the third one is is substance based substances and that's all to do with the physical uh, substances that you are addicted to yeah right? and all three are effective use are effective in helping you avoid um, uh, yeah, underlying painful emotions, but I'd like to point out something else about all three. Yeah. Some of them do it more easily than others. Uh -huh. So for example, if you find that a substance is useful in denying an emotion, you will probably use that substance rather than trying to get a person to help you with their emotion. Yes. The reason why is that manipulating a person <laughs> to help you emotionally is harder than just getting the substance. Yeah. <laughs> and so generally we'll be attracted to the substance more than we will be to the emotional addiction mm -hmm. associated. Right. Yeah. And it depends a lot on our experience, doesn't it? It does. When it does. these emotions were formed and we started suppressing them. Yes. Because in some situations, in some families perhaps, there's not as much substance as available, but there's a very compliant... Uh, or like a parent who wants to create a codependence with their Correct. child. Correct. So and that so will be our, um, our, our drug preferred of choice. drug of choice. <laughs> the yeah. emotional um, fulfill or yes. suppression. And something that you've got in the notes here that we, the word we haven't mentioned is that it's a reliance. Yes. And that's that's a good word, to, isn't it? It's yes. an emotional reliance on yes. uh, to suppress that's used, we're relying emotionally on something to suppress other things Correct. or we're relying physically on but Correct. that reliance is that we, we're leaning on it, we're needing it we to need it. suppress those yes. things. Yeah. And in fact, for most of us, we need it so much that when it's taken away, we're very annoyed yes. <laughs> when it's taken yeah. away. And that doesn't matter whether it's an emotional one, a physical one or a substance one. Yeah. <laughs> And just one other thought that occurred to me at, while you were speaking was about the emotional um, addictions. Mm -hmm. You mentioned relationships. We commonly think about that in terms of relationships with people still on earth. Yes. But it's very possible to have these emotional addictions with spirits as of well, course. isn't it? Yeah. Of course. And in fact, many spirits are involved in all three of these particular yeah. things. Yeah. The spirits are involved in the emotional one because they want the same emotions and they find that wherever they live in the spirit world, they can't get them. So they return back to earth wanting those particular mm -hmm. emotions mm -hmm. from other people on earth. This is if they're not developed in love themselves. Correct. If they've still and got of course, you'd only ever engage in any addictions if you're not developed in love. Yes. And so that basically, I've just condemned the entire world because <laughs> <at this> <laughs> uh, uh, we're heavily with addictions. Yes. which means that we're not very developed in love. And I think you can pretty much see from what is happening in, on the earth that yes, we're definitely not very developed in love yeah. when it comes to, uh, and therefore we're very heavily involved in our addictions. Yeah. But uh, the first one, yeah, the emotional one, the spirits are often very heavily involved in that yeah. because every time we have an emotional openness to having something be fed, 
there is a spirit who wants to feed that addiction as long as we're willing to give them something in return. So, mm. so it's just the same kind of relationship as we have developed with other people on earth, with the exception we just can't see the person who's supplying the emotion. Yeah. That's the only exception. Yeah. The second thing with physical situations, often spirits after they've passed no longer can have the same physical situations. Yeah. And so they, they visit people on earth and encourage them to engage in the same physical situation so that they can have the same experience yes. emotionally. Yeah. So, you know, they often are involved in that. And then spirits are heavily involved in substance abuse. Mm -hmm. The main reason why is because they can't get those substances in the spirit world. Yeah. And so what they do is they overcloak a person on earth who's willing to imbibe these substances to the point where, where they can share the results of the substances with another person. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the person on earth will finish up passing out even, and yet the spirit will still be able to feel the results of the substance through connecting energetically to the person. Yeah. So spirits are heavily involved in all three aspects of our addictions. And uh, what I was meaning to say earlier was that these, this is not all spirits globally, it's just spirits who wish to engage addictions themselves. So of course. They haven't progressed very far after they've passed. Yeah, which so. is a good 21 billion spirits yes. or so. Yes, yes. So it's still a lot of them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so yes. There's, a lot, there's three times the amount of people than the amount of people on earth, spirits who wish to engage in these activities. Absolutely. So, so at the end of the day, um, yeah, you, you know, it's highly unlikely that a person experiencing one of these addictions doesn't have at least one spirit with them who's mm -hmm. also encouraging them to meet these addictions to meet the addictions yeah, yeah. okay yeah. great so basically uh addictions are there we rely on them in order to suppress uh our painful emotions our painful emotions fear grief yeah. shame and it's not just suppress it's in a way of denying so, that we even have one yes it's a way of resisting the feeling of one yes it's a way of suppressing the feeling of one or it's a way of substituting the feeling of one. So, you know, sometimes our grief is so strong and we know it's there, but we want to have a more pleasurable feeling. So, yeah. so we'd go and get drunk instead. Yes. Uh, you know, we know we're sad, but we just don't want to feel it. Uh -huh. And so we're conscious, we're not in denial, we're not in resistance of the emotion because we find it's too hard to resist anymore. Yeah. And we're trying to suppress it, but, it's, uh, but we find the only thing is substitution yes. that works. So we could be doing any of those four techniques. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, great. No worries. How are addictions created? Well, addictions are created by the desire to do one of four things with our painful emotions, and in particular with the painful emotion of fear. Uh -huh. And those four things are, firstly, to deny fear exists, to suppress the feeling of the fear, to resist the feeling of the fear, or to substitute other feelings for the feeling of the fear, in place of the feeling of the fear. And if we desire to do any of those four things, we will create addictions automatically. <laughs> so our addictions are generally automatically created without much thought, uh -huh. as soon as we enter the state where we deny, suppress, resist, or want to substitute. Yeah. So that's the primary way in which all of our addictions are created.
Great. Pretty concise. It is. <laughs> uh, there's a few notes here. Of course. We, yeah. ne we need to, of course, see the circumstances under which they might be created. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's why we've created some extra notes for people to understand what's going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would you like me to uh, Yes, listen let's the list them one by one yep. and, uh, and then we'll discuss them. So we're attempting to deny, resist or suppress grief by replacing real love with emotions masquerading as love. Yes. So this refers back to, you remember there is a direct relationship between fear and, and how fear is created and addictions and how addictions are created. So remember if we go back to the, uh, the fear and how fear was created, we firstly had the withdrawal of love, the withdrawal of truth, the emotions, the, the, the um, addictions masquerading as love mm -hmm. and the lies masquerading as truth. Yes. So naturally there is going to be a link now between the way fear is created and, and how addictions are created. Because mm -hmm. addictions are created by the suppression or the attempts to suppress, deny, resist or place something in lieu of your fear. Yeah. So of course there's going to be a direct re relationship between how fear is created and how addictions are created. Yes, mm. yes, absolutely. So in this first particular one we're looking at the lies masquerading as love. Yes. Aren't we? So, so whenever there are lies masquerading as, sorry, uh, addictions masquerading as love, what, what happens there is that we, we think we're being loving mm -hmm. And we desperately want that type of love, right. right? A feeling of love coming from somebody, uh -huh. but it's a misinterpretation of what real love is. So, so in other words, we think it's love, yeah. But because of our childhood uh, things that happened due to fear, we we are wrong. Uh -huh. We we actually believe that it's love, but it's not. Yeah. It's actually an addiction that was was getting met, and and we only think that somebody loves us when they. Uh, have some kind of addiction with us. Okay, so you're saying when when I have a lie, uh, a codependent or an addiction, addiction yeah. that I believe is love, yes. fear is created, yes. and then I can act to suppress the fear, the fear and the by wanting more of that codependent addiction. Got gotcha. you. So, yeah. so, so, in other words. I'm screaming for, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm desperately wanting somebody to give me that feeling that I interpret as love. Yeah. Because the emotion in me causes me to interpret as love. Yeah. So somebody comes along and tells you that's not loving and you go, don't be stupid. I know what love is and that's love. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you're completely wrong. Yeah. Because you have the emotion inside of you that's causing you to interpret that as love. Yeah. Right. And that's the trouble with uh, addictions masquerading as love in our childhood mm. is that it causes this layer of fear that then have the have these addictions that are created that all want the addiction to be met so that you can feel like you're loved. Is that because without that addiction you feel zero love whatsoever? Correct. Somebody can even be loving you and yet you feel zero love from them because they are not meeting your addiction. Yeah. Now, what I notice is this about a lot of spiritual people. Yes. They are experts 
at meeting people's addictions, mm. right? That's, can, we, can we call them spiritual in that way? No, they're not yeah. true. It's not true spirituality. But the so-called, you know, new age spiritual people who are, who are lovely people and are leaders in the in the field, yes. they are experts at meeting people's addictions. Yeah. Now this is very very damaging, because basically it's lies. It's it's addictions masquerading as love. So the people like it because in their childhood that's what they had as love mm -hmm. they had all of these addictions masquerading as love yeah. and so now as an adult that's what they seek yeah. they seek people who act the same way as their parents acted when they felt a loving which is really just a codependent addiction feeling from their parent yeah and it's so sad to watch and and ironically the opposite also occurs with me so, so when people come along to me, they say, I don't feel much love coming out of you. Mm. I'm not meeting any of your addictions that you believe are loving to meet. Yeah. And when I don't meet them, you think I'm being nasty to you when I'm <laughs> actually not. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being loving to you in that place from God's perspective. But you think I'm being nasty because I'm not meeting your addictions. Mm. Yep. Yes. I have, I've got, you got hundreds I've got of half a thought going on there. process going on in my head that I can't get out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I witness that all the time. Yeah. And I also know that um, it requires us becoming more sensitive emotionally to really sense love, to get beyond some addictions, yeah. to really sense it. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, let's move on to the next one. Yes. Yes. So let's cover all four and then if we want to discuss yeah. more, then we'll discuss yeah. more. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the second one is... And so remember we're talking about how addictions are created here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they're created when we are attempting mm -hmm. to deny, resist or suppress fear by substituting other emotions which are temporarily more powerful. Yes. So in the first example, it was about grief and love yes and now we're talking about fear and other emotions yes so these are all and by the way these examples are not exhaustive you know there's yeah. many things that can create our addictions but what we need to do is just help people start to analyze what's going on here yeah. rather than give an exhaustive answer yeah. about the question but if we look at this particular issue our desire to suppress creates the addiction mm -hmm. So, so it, remember, it's the desire to express, suppress the pain. Now, if the pain is sadness and we don't want to feel it, we will create an addiction. Now, the only reason why we wouldn't want to feel it is because we're afraid of feeling it, probably. So it's probably another layer on top. So this is why we often have sadness and then layer over the layer of sadness is fear. And then we don't want to fear, we fear our sadness. So we've got now fear of sadness. And then, of course, suppression of the fear causes us to want the addiction right so our desire to suppress any emotion is going to create automatically an addiction mm -hmm. and that is an automatic creation yeah it's not something that you'll even be conscious of it's an automatic creation of the from the desire to suppress yes and this is the, the thing we need to understand that just having a desire to suppress, mm -hmm. a desire to deny, a desire to resist, or a desire to substitute is going to automatically cause us to substitute. Yeah. <laughs> That's just going to happen automatically yeah. without us even being aware most of the time yeah. that it's happening.
And unfortunately, because of that, we won't even be aware that we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And most people are completely unaware when they are actually doing it, completely unaware. And it's only once you've released most of your own addictions that you see it happening everywhere. It's like, a, it's like this disease <laughs> or virus that people have, and you see it's happening everywhere and nobody knows because it's all a part of their normal day-to-day -day life in terms of helping them to do one of those four things with their painful emotions. Yeah, you and I have joked in the past about um, the the current trend towards zombie movies. Yes, yes, and yes. And how, yes. what is that metaphorically um, uh, demonstrating about everyone wanting to suppress and deny so much that they become zombie-like and yeah. that's happening all around us anyway. And, and yet they're terrified of zombies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not so terrified that they don't want to make a lot no, of movies no, no, about no, it. Exactly. Yeah. And it. And it's quite interesting uh, what's made movie-wise because oftentimes it is all an expression of what is being suppressed emotionally in the crowd. Yeah. And that's why it has certain, you know, people examining it, you know, and they're drawn to it more yeah. fully. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about suppressing fear yep. and substituting other emotions. Yes. So the first one was suppression of grief, the desire to suppress grief. So grief is a painful emotion mm -hmm. for most people. And for most people, they view it as too painful to feel. Yeah. And, and I suppose you could say shame also feels that, but that is a fear-based emotion. Mm -hmm. So suppression of fear is, fear is usually another emotion. And remember fear ranging from even slight anxiety, most people are not wanting to feel, yeah. but absolute terror, most people have no desire to feel that whatsoever, of course. And so there are huge desires coming out of them to suppress the feeling, hence the attraction to the addictions. Yes, yeah. yes. If you have a desire to do the opposite, you won't create many addictions at all. Mm. And you won't have many addictions automatically. That's the irony. Mm. But once you have the addictions, very hard to get rid of them because the desire to suppress is present. And that's the problem. The desire to substitute is present. The desire to resist is present. The desire to deny is present. So you're going to have to, if you have any addictions at all, you're going to have to work on the desires that you have in your soul's will to deny, to resist, yes. to suppress, to substitute. It's not enough to simply stop doing the physical action. Or no, the, you won't be able to. It, you, it will mutate <laughs> into another into addiction. Another form. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, while the desire in you to suppress the underlying causal emotion remains, Addictions are the necessary result inside of you. Mm -hmm. They're the thing you have to do mm -hmm. in order to help you avoid the painful experience. Yeah. And, and so you will do it. And it doesn't matter how much you think you won't, you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Make that the truth. Mm. Okay. Um, so the third example you were talking about denying, resisting or suppressing anger by substituting other emotions that are temporarily more powerful. Yes, now here I'm speaking not of adult anger, which we'll discuss in a different question. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking of the childhood anger that was created due to the suppression of the grief and fear that are caused by your environment at the time. So, mm -hmm. so see a lot of children are firstly told they're not allowed to feel their sadness 
Otherwise, they'll give, be given something to feel sad about. Mm -hmm. Which creates fear. Which creates fear. Yeah. And then when they feel afraid and they act on their fear, the parent goes, what are you afraid of? You've got nothing to be afraid of. And they're angry with the child and threaten violence towards them generally. Mm -hmm. So now the child is now afraid to express their fear. So now they have to put another layer on that. Now, if they can't get their addiction met to suppress their fear in that place as a child, they revert to anger or rebellion. Mm -hmm. Now, usually most children have that heavily suppressed mm -hmm. because they start to experience anger and then the parents do give them something to be, to be sad about mm -hmm. by belting them or being violent towards them. Mm -hmm. So that causes the child to learn how to suppress rage and anger at the childhood level. Yeah. Now that, of course, they, they then have huge amounts of fear associated with anger with the expression of childhood anger, childlike anger. Not, not a different type of anger, which we'll talk about next, which is the anger that most people also have uh -huh. and engage in all the time, yeah. but rather the anger associated with the suppressed childhood experience as a child. Yeah. Now, as a result of trying to get away from that, you will enter addictions. And those addictions will be one of those three forms of addictions, which will be emotional, physical, or substance related generally. Yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. The fourth, the fourth <coughs> example is attempting to deny, resist, or suppress truth with lies masquerading as truth. Yes. Now this, uh, this, but a lot of the world is addicted to this. Yep. The way to stay away from emotion is to deny the truth about the emotion. So the, the way to feel an emotion at the causal level is to accept the truth about the emotion. And the way to stay away from the emotion is to deny the truth about the emotion. Mm -hmm. So lies masquerading as truth become very acceptable emotionally to us. Mm -hmm. So we want to hear the lies masquerading as truth rather than hear the truth itself. The truth itself will expose the underlying causal emotion. We don't want that. Mm -hmm. So what we choose to do is accept a whole heap of lies masquerading as truth. Uh, we can give some examples here. For example, most people, when you tell them that their parents didn't love them, they'll say, that's a lie. Mm. They'll say, my parents loved me. And then you ask them, did your parents smack you? They go, yes, but they love me. There's the lie masquerading as truth. Yeah. Vi a violent parent doesn't prove love, it proves violence, it proves there was no love in that moment, right? Yeah. There's the lie masquerading as truth. But we want to tell ourselves the lie that our parents loved us so that we don't have to feel the truth that they did not. Mm -hmm. And we prefer to accept this lie. And as a society we prefer to accept the lie and also as individuals we prefer to accept the lie. Yeah. So this is an example of a lie masquerading as truth that we use to suppress our underlying causal emotion. Yeah. 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 And that is always going to result in an addiction. Yeah. We're going to want somebody to tell us the lies, to feed us the lies. See, inside there's a feeling inside that none of the lies are real. You know, they're not true. Yeah. But, but so, so we want the lie to be told over and over again. So we want mummy and daddy to tell us they love us all the time yeah. when we don't feel they love us at all. Yes, and this, this was the half-formed question I had earlier. Mm -hmm. And that was, when we have um, a situation in our childhood where lies masqueraded as truth mm -hmm. or where addiction masqueraded as love, 
um, don't we somewhere internally have a sense of the lie? Um, not always, no. Not always. It depends when the, it was created. So, you know, this is the problem is that if, they were, if these lies were created during our formative years when we had very little logical intellect, then it's highly unlikely we will know. What fact, about as we open up emotionally ourselves and then become we will sensitive? Know, right. But it requires sensitivity. Yes. And it requires us to be sensitive to our pain. Yep. And most people aren't. Yep. So, so while most people are desensitized to their pain, they will not know that, mm -hmm. it, that it was unloving or loving, in fact, either one. <laughs> and they will think things were loving when they weren't, they'll think things were unloving when they weren't, yep. you know, because they're not sensitive to the truth. To be sensitive to the truth of any situation, you have to be sensitive emotionally. Yeah. And you have to be sensitive not to the addictive emotions, but rather to the causal emotions. And the majority of people are only sensitive to their addictive emotions. So it's very, very hard when you're only sensitive to your addictive emotions for you to determine what the truth is. Yeah. And therefore you won't feel something was true. Mm. You will believe with all your heart that the opposite was true when it was not. And it's only by someone being in your face, logical, with you going, no, it can't be the truth, that can't be right, that can't be right, until you go, oh, maybe it's not right. Uh, usually before you'll come to accept the, the real truth, God's truth about the situation. Yeah. yeah. So it's sad, it's sad what happens to us in that childhood formative experience because we, we finish up believing lies are true, we finish up believing truths are lies, we finish up believing love is addiction, we finish up believing addiction is love, we finish up believing that something that's really love is not love at all. You know, we come, we come away from the experience with so many false beliefs that we now have to, as an adult, be willing to unravel. Now, God's willing to help us unravel all of these things, mm -hmm. but it's just whether we're willing to go through the painful emotional experience. And for the majority of people, they aren't mm. willing to go through the painful emotional experience. And so they never unravel it, even though they hear truth over and over again for many years. They still won't unravel it until they're willing to go through the painful emotional experience. Yeah. And that's how the human soul functions. Yeah. Until we're willing to get rid of the resistance emotionally within our soul to accepting truth, we will not accept the truth no matter how much we tell it mm -hmm. to ourselves and to others. Mm -hmm. We just won't accept it. And that, that's what dominance does in the soul. Yeah. So we need to understand the principles of how the soul functions to really understand how to unravel all of this mess that's been created <laughs> <laughs> in our soul. Yeah. But really the primary creator of the mess is just our unwillingness to feel pain. That's the primary creator of the mess. And once you understand that, it becomes very simple to unravel the mess you need to learn how to be willing to feel your pain. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the main thing that you need to learn, in fact. Mm. Yeah. So it is quite simple to unravel once you understand that. But unfortunately for most people, there's a deep unwillingness to feel any pain at all. And as a result, you know, we, we revert to addictions and so forth to avoid them. Yeah, mm. yeah. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Mm. What is anger? Well, before I answer this question, I'd probably like to say that there are two types of it. Mm -hmm. and, and one type is related to our childhood and the other type is related to most of what we're going to speak about next. Sure. <laughs> most people's anger has nothing to do with their childhood anger, unfortunately. Most people's anger has a lot to do with what they want to express as an adult for reasons that they have as an adult to suit 
to suppress their fear. Uh -huh. So we need to firstly see that a childhood anger expression is going to be very, very different to an adult anger expression. Yeah. Childhood anger expression is generally not projected at anyone else. It, it, it doesn't blame the world or the universe for it. It feels the pain of the hurt and the resistance, its own resistance to the pain of the hurt that's within. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of anger some people have mm -hmm. to feel. Um, and I say some people because, uh, you know, obviously sometimes we were, we got so goaded as children that we started to get angry and then that was also suppressed. So obviously it's an emotion that we have to feel. As adults, as then a, we have to As let adults, it out. we have to yeah. connect to that childhood expression of the anger. But when we do connect to that childhood expression of anger, we will not be projecting it upon anyone. Mm -hmm. We will not be yelling and screaming at somebody. Mm -hmm. We'll be feeling it internally and, and expressing it to ourselves generally. So it's very, very different to the type of anger that we're now going to talk about, yeah, <laughs> which is the most common anger yeah. that everybody has. Can I just clarify? You said we'll be expressing it to ourselves. You don't necessarily mean towards ourselves, no, do you? No, I mean, mean just in, a, in an, an environment, environment where we ourselves are alone yeah. and where we feel the pain of our own resistance, yeah. which is very, very different than blaming everybody else for, for, for things, which is what most people's anger is for. Yeah. And also, um, we start to recognise it as a child that it was a, a desire. It was our desire to feel powerful in very powerless situations, yeah. and we allow ourselves to feel the grief associated with that kind of anger. And you, you'll feel the age of the anger too under those circumstances. So, if the anger was created when you were five, you will feel like you're five years old going through it, mm. and and you won't be expressing it to people because it, uh, the reality is, as a child, you didn't express it to people. So. So, you know, that's the reason why it was suppressed, because yeah. you didn't express it. Yep. So the reality is you won't be projecting it at other people because you never would have chosen to do such a thing as a child. Yeah. So, you know, so you'll just feel it and mm -hmm. feel the pain of it. And that's not the anger that we're now going to speak of. Okay, so <laughs> let's speak of this. This is the, the most common form of anger. This is the most common form yep. of anger that we're now going to speak of. Mm -hmm. The most common form of anger is a desire to, to have, sorry, uh, it's an unmet desire to have your addictions met. <laughs> so, so maybe so it, can, it arises. Can we say that again? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's probably yeah, not yeah. the right thing to say. It arises yeah. because you have not met your addictions. Yeah. In other words, the average person creates a whole set of addictions, which are all about denying, suppressing, um, resisting or substituting their hard childhood emotions, their, yeah. their causal emotions, their painful emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, so they want to suppress and deny all of those things. So what they do is they create a whole layer of addictions. Yeah. When their addictions are no longer met by their environment or by the substance or by the physical act, yeah. They revert to anger and rage. Mm -hmm. Now anger ranges from, it, it's a stored energy yeah. So, right, it's an energy that yeah. can be stored or expressed. In motion, yeah. When it's in motion, when it becomes an emotion, it will be expressed as slight, ignore, slight annoyance right the way through to extreme violent rage. Yeah. Right. It can be any of It can be anything in, in between that yeah. range. Yeah. So if, whenever we talk about anger, we are talking about a group of emotions, not just a single emotion. Yeah and a group of emotions ranging from just a tiny little bit of annoyance right the way through to extreme rage. And, and the other 
thing about this anger, if you like, is that it is, that it is a desire to feel certain things that cause it. So, so it's not only just a desire to get your addictions met, uh -huh. but rather a desire when your addictions aren't met to get them met. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense? So, sure, so, so, a, so initially, when we want our addictions met, we're quite gentle with it all. Uh -huh. Does that make sense? We, we generally, you know, we're gentle with the people around us. We're gentle with the substances. We go, oh, that feels nice, and we have a bit more of that. Yeah. But, but after a while, it becomes non-satisfying, or if it ever does become unsatisfying, we are no longer satisfied in having our addictions met that way. It's not enough for us. Mm -hmm. and, and when it's not enough for us, now we revert to the anger-based feeling. The anger-based feeling gives us a lot of things which we'll go through. I think we've listed four things that it gives us that, that we'll, we'll need to go through yeah, one by one. Yeah, or really why we use it. Correct. What, we, what we're we attempting it. to do by what we're attempting getting to get. angry. Yeah, when we get angry, yes. So, so we need to understand these particular things about anger. And this is the kind of anger that is completely out of harmony with love. Mm -hmm. It's got nothing to do with our childhood experience at all. In mm -hmm. fact, it's quite the opposite. It's the denial of our childhood experience that causes this kind of anger. Yeah. So we're trying as hard as we can to deny what we experience or need to, that we, the experience we locked up as a child. Yeah. And so we revert to this kind of anger instead. So this is, that's very important what you just said. So the expression of this kind of anger does the opposite of helping our soul to grow. Correct. It, right. it damages our soul yeah. and it damages the souls of others. And particularly if we become violent with it, it's extremely damaging to our soul and the, and the souls of others. Okay, so, let, so. Uh, can I clarify that a bit more? Sure. Because um, obviously you've said this kind of anger can be stored also. It can be stored. Or it can be in motion. It can be in motion. And expressed. Yes. yes. So, but when we're expressing this kind of anger, we're actually heading away from any kind of causal emotion. We're, trying, we're actively trying to suppress our childhood experience. We're using this kind of anger as a tool to yep. suppress causal emotions which will help us heal. Yeah. So it's, it's, not, it's not even, there's of no, it's of no benefit to us to even experience this kind of anger. Okay. There's, there's no single benefit to even experience it, really. Yeah. Yeah. We need to find what's under it. Now, sometimes when you experience it, you will find what's under it. Yeah. But, but you need to experience it in a very, very controlled environment like, if you're ever going to not damage yourself or other people. Mm -hmm. And this is where you need to be completely alone experiencing this kind of anger. Otherwise, you are definitely going to damage yourself and other people. Right? And even if you're alone, there are times when you are damaging other people with it. Yeah. So particularly if they are open to the absorption of the emotion, then you're definitely damaging other people with it, even if you're alone. Mm. So I know that later on in this series, we're going to ask, we've got questions from people yes. who uh, that and, speak to that. Yes. So. And we need to also say that it, this kind of anger is the result of denial. It's yes. the result of suppression. It's the result of resistance. It's the result of a substitution. We want the substitute. Mm -hmm for the harder emotion. And so it's all about using our will to get the substitute. Yeah. So it's got nothing to do with using our will in harmony with love anymore. Yeah. It's got everything to do with using our will to get the substitute done, to, mm -hmm. to get the effect we want. Yeah. Right? And that is completely out of harmony with love. So that's going to damage our soul every time we engage it. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's talk about what we're trying to do with yes. this kind of anger. Yes. So the first thing is to control or manipulate the environment back into supporting our addictions. Correct, so that's the primary reason why we revert to this kind of anger. We want whatever is happening in our environment to go back to the way it was. Because yeah, that's where addictions were being met and we felt further distanced from... From the true causal emotion that we need to feel. Yeah. So, so we're using anger as a tool to change our environment mm -hmm. back to the condition that's unloving. Yeah. So and actually we're trying to force our environment to become more unloving to suit our addiction. Yeah. And this is why it's damaging because it's, it's trying to force other people or things in our environment to meet our own unloving state. Mm -hmm. And that's a very, very unloving choice. It is. Yep. And in prior discussions today, you've talked about how God's laws are operating to help expose what is suppressed within us. Mm -hmm. And we're acting in addiction to suppress it further mm -hmm. rather than have it exposed. Yes. And then when we act in this anger, we're even acting further out of harmony with God's laws, aren't we? Correct. We're saying... We're now resorting to violence. Yeah. Because even if it's emotional, it's still violence. You're, you're trying to force the environment, some, something or someone in the environment, to go back to their old behaviour. Mm -hmm. That's not honouring free will at all. Mm -hmm. It's not honouring the free will of people in your environment. And it's also not honouring the fact that actually they're more loving to you when they don't do that. So, so it's not honouring love at all. Yes. It's not honouring truth at all. Yeah. In fact, it's in complete denial of love, truth, and also complete denial of a person's free will. It's, it's, the, it's the result of you not wanting to take personal responsibility for what's inside of you. Mm -hmm. And that is a very, very damaging course of action. And most people resort to it because it's... It gets their environment because it go back to what it was before. Yeah. And, and it's very, very damaging action. Yeah. Very damaging action. One of the most damaging things you can do to your soul is to resort to that kind of anger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to control or manipulate the environment back into supporting our addiction? Yes. Yep. So that's number one. Number one. Yep. Number two, to punish our environment for not supporting our addiction. Yes, this is even darker again. Yeah. Because basically what we're saying to our environment is we're saying, you're not doing what I want you to do. So now what I'm going to do is not only am I going to force you to do what I want you to do, but I'm going to hurt you for not doing it. Yeah. So this is like wanting to punish or hurt, harm somebody because they didn't meet your addictions. Yes. And that's a very damaging course of actions. It's, it's not very far from that, that most people, the, the reason why most people who die and pass, pass into the hells of the spirit world is because they frequently have this emotion, mm -hmm. this emotion that they feel completely willing to punish other people mm -hmm. for what those other people didn't do or should have done for them. Yeah. 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 And, and it's a very, very damaging course of action to take for your own soul and for another, towards another. And so some... Some real life examples of this might be um, a parent belting a child yes. or a person. So, a parent resorting to violence. Yep. Uh, just because the child didn't do something the parent wanted. Yep. Yes. And it's a punishment rather than just a rather yelling than... match to get them to do what they want, yeah. which might be the first form of anger. Correct. The second form is taking it beyond that to actually physically harming, harming the child. Yep. Yep. And creating violence towards the child. Yep. 
from a physical perspective as well as an emotional one. Yeah. So the first level, you could say, that we yeah. went through creates emotional violence. Mm -hmm. The second level is willing to resort to physical violence generally. Yeah. Yeah. It's a desire to punish another person. It's a desire to make their life hard, make their life difficult, mm -hmm. to make their life more difficult than it currently is. As soon as you have that emotion, you're way out of harmony with love yeah. at that point. And so um, in the context of, say, a relationship, mm -hmm. when um, I have a codependent addiction mm -hmm. that you've been meeting for me... Yes, so let's say, you know, I make you feel safe and secure. Safe and secure. We get in a situation where I no longer feel safe and secure. So let's say I lost my job. Yeah, lost your job. And so we're not going to regular income anymore. You no longer feel safe I and secure. Feel I don't want to feel terribly afraid. Mm -hmm. My addiction to feeling safe and secure that was met by you and your job is no longer there. Yep. So, I don't, uh, so you start projecting me that I've got to go and get a job. Get a job, hurry up. Every, every morning before, you know, at 7am, I'm yelling at you. Or even just on. doing the manipulative thing. For example, yep. just going, you know, oh, I've got to get you up. You know, why don't you go out today? Why don't you, you know, making all these suggestions. Yeah. And it's, you're not making them for my sake. You're making yep. them for your own. Yeah. You're making them to so so that you don't have to feel certain things. Yeah. Which is selfish. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So that would be a that would be an example of the first of the first type of, type anger. of anger. So whether it's overt or covert, it doesn't a matter even if it's covert. It's like oh, I'll on. make you ricky and I'll get you ready and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Good on you. Off That's you all go. covert rage. Covert rage. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, if, but if it was to take it to the second level mm -hmm. of punishing, then after three months and you still haven't got a job, I might resort to going, well, you're useless. The problem is you are lazy. The problem is you and trying to then attack your character. Or nature or attack what my situation personally, yes. That would be an example of punishing. That'd be, a, you're now trying to punish the person for no longer allaying your fear. So that's when we get into a darker state with this Much anger. darker state with the anger now. Gotcha. So it might not have resorted to anything physical, but you're now in a violent state with this anger and you're now quite, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It's probably, you're, you're now use, not only using emotional manipulation techniques now, you're using outright attack now yes. to try and manipulate the person into changing their behaviour. Yeah. Right, so that's very, very damaging now. You, you, and you might, you, you know, you'd be saying probably at that stage, you'd be saying very cutting things, you'd try to be humiliating. And if you don't resort to physical violence, you'll come close at times. Mm, mm. Mm, you'll okay. yell and scream and you throw things and whatever. Yeah, so mm. that's, thank you for clarifying that. I wanted to make it clear that we can punish without physical violence, can't we? Certainly, yeah. certainly. Yeah. You can even do things like, oh, stuff this, I'm going to go and have sex with somebody else who makes me feel safe. Wow, yeah. Right? Which means you've said nothing to the person that made you feel unsafe and you've got no idea inside of you why you went and had sex with somebody else, but you felt drawn to do so just because that person made you feel safe somehow and you felt sexually attracted to them as a result. Mm -hmm. And that is an act of rage. An act of rage and addiction on your part. And addiction on your part, yeah. 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 Very damaging actions. And, and, you know, if you examine society in the world, you, you see this happening all the time every day, <laughs> in, like, these kind of actions. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. do. 
And we don't call it anger necessarily. No, we don't. We, we often call it, you know, completely different things. Oh, that person's looking after themselves now. Or, oh, that person's got some self-worth now. No. Wow. <laughs> Oftentimes yeah. they're just enraged and they, they are using passive-aggressive or aggressive ways to, to manipulate their environment to get back their addictions. Mm. Yeah. Okay, third type third of type. anger. We blame our environment for not supporting our addictions. Yes, what this is a bit like? different to punishment yep. in the sense that we're basically saying our environment is responsible for the reason why we're not having our addictions met. In other words, we're not seeing it as a personal responsibility even for our own addictions to be met by ourselves. Yep. We think the environment is responsible for our addictions to be met and our environment is also responsible for to help us suppress our deeper emotions. Uh -huh. and, and so we blame externally. We, we blame everyone else other than ourselves. In other words, we no longer take personal responsibility for any of our own feelings about what is happening. Right. right. And that, that is an external blame of other people, of other things, in order to avoid taking personal responsibility. So what would an example of that be? Um, blaming the government, blaming the train system, blaming the... the is oh, I, in the previous example, yeah. I had sex with him because he's attractive. There's a blame of your environment. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was attractive. It had everything to do with the fact that you didn't feel safe. Right, <laughs> right. So, so, so you're blaming the environment for the action you took, having sex with somebody who's not your marriage partner, yep. right? You're blaming, you know, it on something that you think, you know, he was attractive and that's why I did it when it had nothing to do with why you did it. Yeah. The reason why you did it was because you were in denial of certain emotions, in particular emotions of safety and security, and he made you feel safe and secure, so you had sex with him. Yeah. You know? So it's almost like um, a bit of misdirection. It's a, it's a bit of saying... Uh, it's a way to avoid personal responsibility yeah. every time. I'm a victim of this circumstance, Correct. whatever it is. Yeah, we, we portray ourselves as victims of the circumstance and we're not to blame for our actions. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yes. So I'm punishing you right now and I'm also being manipulative right now, but I'm not to blame for my actions. It's because you did something. Mm. And again, this is very dark, isn't it? Very dark behaviour. Yeah. Very dark behaviour. Any person who engages in that behaviour will, will be in the hells of the spirit world. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Doesn't matter what they, their face portrays or yeah. you know anything else, they will arrive in the hells of the spirit world yeah. if they pass right at, right at that point. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay, fourth type yep. of anger. Yep. Um, it's when we use anger to feel powerful and avoid feeling weak. Yes, and um, this is a very common use of anger, right? The use of anger to avoid the powerless emotions. Yep. So powerless emotions are emotions like fear and terror and you know, sadness and grief, they are emotions where we don't feel powerful anymore. We don't feel like we're in control anymore. We don't feel like we've got our self-determination anymore. And so what we do is we re revert to rage or anger in order to feel powerful and feel like we have control again. Yeah. And sometimes we're even angry at ourselves or angry at other people in that state. It doesn't really matter as long as we feel powerful in that state. Does that make yeah. sense? And when we feel powerful, we get to avoid all the powerless emotions, right? Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why we revert to anger as well, to, in order to feel the power of it. Because anger is a very a strong emotion, and often we do very strong things when we're angry. Yeah. Um, 
whereas when we see, think of emotions like fear or sadness, we don't see them as strong emotions. We see them as weak emotions, generally. Society sees them as weak emotions, generally. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, reverting to a strong emotion so we can avoid the appearance of having a weak one is a very common reason for why people get angry. And men in particular do this because yeah. men are told that when they're you know, afraid or sad, they're weak. And so what they do is they often revert to anger in order to feel powerful and to demonstrate their power. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it's not true. You know, in fact, you're far less powerful angry than you were feeling a causal emotion from yeah. a soul perspective. Yeah. But, but most people don't, aren't aware of that, of course. So that, that is based on a lot of false beliefs that we have taken on in our childhood about the nature of emotion and what, what equates to feeling weak and strong and powerful and powerless. Yeah, well, let's be more correct. Yep. It's a, it equates to the childhood beliefs that were forced upon us mm -hmm. by our environment because mm -hmm. it's highly unlikely we would have taken them on unless they were forced upon us. Because <laughs> <laughs> so. taking them on or having them forced upon us made us suppress huge parts of our experience, correct, didn't it? Correct, yeah. And also, in our childhood experience, many of us have experienced deep uh, feelings of powerlessness and, and, and terror mm. uh, and fear and all sorts of emotions because of what happened as a child. And so, you know, as an adult, we're trying to avoid those feelings quite strongly. So we revert to a powerful emotion in order to avoid all of these weak, these emotions we judge as weak and insipid. Yeah. And, uh, and of course our environment taught us as a child, taught us that these emotions were weak and insipid, mm -hmm. you know, fear and, and sadness was weak and insipid. And so what we do, do is the direct result of these, emotions, these feelings being forced upon us. We were taught it yeah. by our environment. It's not something that we would have naturally assumed yeah. without it being taught by somebody. Yeah. You know, the average child is very humble to their own emotions, particularly of grief. You know, most children within the first day of their life cry quite easily. Yes. And as a, it demonstrates how humble they are to the emotion of grief. That only changes because of the environment forced to change. Yeah. 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 Mm. Okay. So... Basically, we've, you've outlined four different types or and, and of course we could list more. I yep. think you know, it's very important for our listeners to see that we could have listed more, but these give them some uh, ideas for themselves when they revert to this adult rage that they have mm -hmm. or anger that they have or annoyance that they have. What's really going on inside of themselves is, is a lot of quite dark things going on inside of yourself when you revert to this behaviour. Yeah. You need to allow yourself to experience the anger still, but as soon as you experience it using one of these four methods, you are way out of line with experiencing it in harmony with any love. Yes. You can be angry and not sin. That's, that's yeah. the reality. You yeah. can be angry and still be loving by experiencing your anger in harmony with love. All of these ways that we've already listed are all out of harmony with love. Mm -hmm. They're all ways to control, manipulate your environment, blame your environment, punish your environment, or feel powerful. And none of them work, by the way. No. None of them will get you to your causal emotion. None of them will help you get closer to God. So in a way, they're all pointless experiences yeah. unless you're feeling your anger and actually doing it in a manner that's in harmony with love, which is just feeling it. 
So being responsible about the expression of it. Yes, and understanding that there are a, you have it because you want some addictions met and being willing to go and find those addictions, yeah. whatever they are, to yeah. be willing to face them. Yeah. What are my addictions? Why do I get angry here? Yeah. You know? So if you look at the average guy who gets jealous of his girlfriend, he's angry because of something going on inside of him, mm -hmm. right? That's not, he's not feeling safe in the relationship anymore. That's why he's angry. Yeah. So, so it might be something where she isn't making him feel safe. It, like, it might be something where he is unsafe. Yes. Or it might be something where he isn't, but he's just imagining he is. Yes. It could be either. But unless he, if he allows himself to feel it without projecting all the crap on her, yeah. then he'll find out, oh, no, it's because I do feel this leakage of sexual energy from you to that person, and that's what makes me feel unsafe. And sure, I've got to go and feel unsafe about that, yeah. but I think you've got an issue with the leakage of sexual energy that you've <laughs> yeah. got to address yeah. if you want to have a relationship with me, yeah. right? Yeah. So you can work through those particular issues as long as you're honest about feeling it, you know, and owning it yourself. Yeah. If... You, if, you, in, if the man in that state says, right, I'm going to get violent with you, right, if you're the woman and I'm the man in that state and I get violent with you to force you to, um, you know, to not be involved with that man or in any way, then I am completely now in a very dark state with regard to the exercise of my anger. Mm. I'm not owning it. I'm not feeling it. I'm not looking at the reason why I have it. I'm blaming you. I'm trying to punish you for what I believe is your creation of my anger. Yeah. And that's all out of harmony with self-responsibility, all out of harmony with love. Yeah. And, and the anger itself is generated because we don't want to be responsible Correct. for what's already in us. Correct. Yeah. The, the anger is coming from an addiction inside of us. Unless we're willing to find that addiction, we will revert to anger every time that addiction is not met. So we need to see that the anger is the direct result of our own desire to, to, to avoid our fears and our own desire to have our addictions met. Mm -hmm. And we need to see it as such. And we need to be willing at some point, if we ever want to be close to God or any, ever want to love, we need to be willing at some point to go, I want to see what the addiction is. I want to feel that addiction instead of getting angry all the time. I want to feel the fear that I have that's underneath that addiction. You know, I want to feel what's driving me towards this rage. And, and it's only then that the rage will dissipate. Yeah. The rage will dissipate when you're willing to feel the actual addiction itself and to feel the terror or fear that drives it. Mm -hmm. Then you won't have any problem with the rage anymore. Yeah. It'll be something that's rare in your life if it ever occurs at all. Yeah. 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 Thank you. It's a great description and yeah. very comprehensive yeah. um, explanation of the different damaging ways we frequently use anger. And what I'm thinking about as you're speaking about that is that um, we can do all these things, control or manipulate, punish, blame, feel powerful and avoid feeling weak. Mm. And it's not necessarily through a screaming rage. Sometimes it's a mild sense of what we call frustration, but we are actually acting to control and punish and blame through that. Yeah, you can even emotion. feel it as a pushiness. Yes. Emotional pushiness. You, you meet a lot of people who never revert to like overt rage, who are Im terribly emotionally pushy. They, are, they have huge amounts of anger in them. Mm. And, and they, are, they have learnt 
to not express their anger verbally or emotionally. They've learnt to become pushy emotionally, to try to force you emotionally. They become um, persistent people who just nag and nag and nag and nag. And there's mm -hmm. another expression of anger. Mm -hmm. So there's, there are so many passive aggressive ways to express anger that the majority of people learnt many ways because as a child they couldn't overtly express anger. They couldn't do it as it really felt, as they really felt it. So they learnt to do it in different ways. Yeah. They learnt it by becoming resistive, by manipulation, by control, by all sorts of other methods, but it's still anger. Yeah. It's still anger driving the behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. And at some point they're going to have to connect to that anger and feel it and feel what the addiction is driving it. Mm. Yeah. We see many people in that state. Like there are many people who come along to our sessions after five years they've not got beyond their anger. <laughs> and they believe they have. Mm -hmm. They believe they're no longer angry or whatever. And they're just highly manipulative individuals who have no desire to get into any of their addictions. And, uh, and the more we tell them, the more enraged they become. And eventually they burst. <laughs> and usually it's not pretty. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, because it usually means that, you know, they harm a lot of people once that they burst. Yeah. They, many people have no idea how to experience anger in a way that doesn't sin. Yeah. You know, and, and the reason is because they don't want to take any responsibility was, for it. I was going to say, it's not like you haven't told us all how to do it. Mm -hmm. It's just there's a desire lacking to do it. Correct. Yeah. 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 It requires, a, again, a great deal of exercise of your will to experience your anger in a way that's in harmony with more love mm -hmm. than it does to do all of these other things we've been talking about. Yeah. And most people don't have that much desire to have their addictions confronted. Mm -hmm. They have a desire to have their addictions met, yeah. not confronted. Yeah. And hence uh, anger is often the common way of, you know, reverting or getting the environment back to meeting your addictions. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's what anger is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, such a damaging emotion. It, 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 it as it in itself has, is, is the most common emotion in the hells of the spirit world. Yeah. Anger and fear are yeah. the two most common emotions in the spirit world, in, in the, the hells. hells. Yeah. And, uh, and those two emotions uh, obviously rage from, you know, range from, very, from slight annoyance to, and then slight anxiety to, you know, to whatever it is, the it, other extreme terror, yeah. in terms of fear and anger. But, the reality is they are both very, very, very damaging emotions on this planet and also in the spirit world, mm. in, the, in the hells of the spirit mm. world. And they are very damaging emotions to the soul of an individual. Mm -hmm. And unless you're willing to feel them, you will never progress, yeah. ever. Yeah. And there are many people who have never progressed for thousands of years as a result of being resistive to truly feeling their anger or their fear rather than just reverting to their anger in order mm. to get their addictions met. Mm. Yeah. yeah, we've talked a lot about codependent addiction, haven't we? And um, it's almost sometimes we have it between us on earth, we have it between us and individual and spirits. spirits. But sometimes it feels to me like at the moment the earth and the lower spheres of the spirit world are in one huge, huge codependence. codependence. Mm. Yeah. 
where fear and anger is fostered yes. and, and, and honoured honored in yes. the lower realms. And, yes. and give an example, a few examples. You know, I think we mentioned a few in other FAQs, but you know, this, this whole thing that happened with World Vision. Yeah. Um, that's an example. Uh, World Vision wanted to change their rules to allow for married gay couples to work in their, or, their organisation. Um, there was a huge amount of anger in the Christian community, which is all based on their own addictions, yes. none of it's loving. Yeah. Doesn't matter what reason they give, oh, the Bible says this or whatever, none of it's loving, yeah. none of it's in harmony with love. Yeah. And the fear of the World Vision organisation was yeah. manipulated yeah. through this anger, which was the purpose of the people who were angry. Yep. There's an example of somebody who's going to arrive in the hells. Yeah. A Christian, will, that Christian who did that, those yeah. Christians who did that, will arrive in the hells because they revert, have reverted to violence and manipulation in order to get what they want. Yeah. And they're willing to even see the death of children mm -hmm. in order to get what they want. Yeah. That's how strong their manipulation of their terror, you know, the, and their manipulation their, driven by their addiction was. Mm -hmm. So as an example, yeah. as an it's, example of how the world works. Yeah. We've had recent examples in our personal life with trying to get venues for, yes. for, for us to do presentations in or, or assistance groups in. You see these examples all the time where yeah. compromises are constantly met based upon who's the person who's most angry. Yes. Now, if we all base our life around the person who's most angry, there is not going to be any improvement in what happens on earth. No. At all. And, and if we do keep doing that in the spirit world, there'll be no improvement what happens in the spirit world either, yeah. in the lower spheres. Yeah. We have to learn to stop doing that. We have to learn to stop supporting anger, yeah. stop, start seeing anger as a desire in the individual to just have their addiction met yeah. and to refuse the meeting of that addiction. Yeah. We need to learn that. So, you know, these are all things we need to learn about anger. Mm. Mm. Thank you. How is anger created? Well, anger is created by the desire to avoid the, or sorry, the desire to have our addictions met so that we don't, can avoid certain other feelings. Yep. Basically, that's how anger is created. Yep. It's a desire to feel more powerful, desire to feel in control, desire to feel that we have our life in order uh -huh. and so forth. And when we don't have those feelings, we revert to rage in order to get our environment to conform back to our personal desires. Yeah. And so it's a desire also to manipulate the environment in some way. Mm -hmm. And this is why I say a lot of anger is actually very passive, like passive aggressive. Even just a little tiny, you know, a little tiny resistance is often rage driving it. Yep. We're not allowed to express the rage, so what we do is we just be resistive. And that's a way of expressing our anger and displeasure about our environment not meeting our addictions anymore. Yeah. And uh, it's obviously very damaging to do such things to our soul. So basically, you're saying when our addictions aren't met and we have the desire for them to still be met, mm -hmm. we can get angry. But... Does everyone who stops having their addictions being met, do they, or, or, and still want them to be met, do they always resort to anger? Yes. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. 
Um, in fact, it's the only course of action unless you're willing to see your addictions. Yes. So you have two options basically whenever you have addictions not being met. You, you can feel that you have the addiction mm -hmm. and that would, that would mean then that you wouldn't get angry at all. Yes. By the time you've gotten to the angry, angry stage, you've already demonstrated you have no desire to know what the addiction is. Yes. Right? So, so the anger is really demonstrating the lack of desire for the addiction. So everyone's going to get angry but they might express that or display that or behave in different ways Correct. in order to get the addiction met again but correct so they'll be, they'll be they angry. might be manipulative they might be verbally or emotionally manipulative they might be passive aggressive they might be absolutely aggressive mm -hmm. they might be in a rage they might resort to violence yeah. there's a whole range of behavior that we resort to in our anger yeah. in order to go back to getting our addictions met yeah. but it's all angry the whole lot's angry. Yeah, it's just a group of angry emotions <laughs> driving the whole thing. We can even internalise the anger, can't we, and punish ourselves in we an effort can, to but manipulate it's, others? Yes, but yeah. it's always got a purpose of manipulation of others. Yes. It's, got, it's, it's very, very rare that we revert to self-punishment without there being a motivation of manipulating others. Yeah. So, in fact, I, I don't, I've never really seen too many people resort to that place. Mm -hmm. Most people who resort to self-punishment are generally always attempting to manipulate somebody else through it. Mm -hmm. the, there, are f there may be a few exceptions to that, but, but generally that's the case. Mm. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think here we've also raised three issues that we'd like to discuss with people about what it does and we've covered this also in the what is anger section to a degree yeah but but if we look at some of the purposes of the anger sure. like of I suppose the reasons why we want to create it yeah so 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 we've looked at how it's created it's created because we want our addictions met and they're not being met so we decide we've decided internally that they need to be met they should be met and that it's somebody else's responsibility to meet them or yep. something else's responsibility to meet them. And so we so, choose to engage <laughs> our rage as a result. Mm -hmm. yep. And it's a choice. It's yep. a free will choice we're making. We're, we're actually, it's actually a choice made by our soul and driven generally by our intellect to, to happen. We, we, know it's, we know it at the time too. That's mm -hmm. the sad thing. Most people who revert to rage know they're being angry and they know they're doing it to manipulate. Yeah. <laughs> To try to force the environment back, back into a state that they feel comfortable in. Again. Yeah, back to comfort, back to yeah. meeting their addictions. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we most of the time know that's what we're trying to do. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I could read a quote from something, from sure. some notes here <clears throat> that you've prepared. Anger is our chosen response mm -hmm. towards our environment for no longer meeting our addictive demands and expectations. Yes, and I think that's a very important statement that yeah. it's our chosen response. Yes. We like doing it <laughs> <laughs> because the alternative is too terrible for us. Yeah. The alternative, which is to feel the addiction and acknowledge we have one, which often feels shameful, and then going into the underlying fear that we have, which often feels terrifying, mm -hmm. and then the underlying grief that's generally suppressed by the fear, which feels very, very sad, yeah. Right, we want to avoid all of those emotions. We've now got you know three sets of emotions by this layer to to address at least, and so we want to go back to having control over our environment yeah. rather than dealing with all of those emotions. Yeah, 
and, and it's a, it lacks personal responsibility doing it, but we choose to do it, mm -hmm. and, and it's a choice. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a real decided choice inside of our soul to go there. And because it's such a strong decision to go there, it instantly damages our soul further. Yeah. And this is why God made it that way, is because it, God wants to give us the feedback that this kind of anger is, a, is very, very bad for damaging. not only and damaging for ourselves and for our environment and for other people. Yeah. And, and it's the precursor to physical, sexual and emotional violence mm -hmm. towards others. And which, which obviously causes a very rapid degradation in our soul condition if we engage in those yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. Okay, can I read another sentence from your notes here? Sure. Anger is created in order to feel more personal power or control over our own pain. Yes, and this is what we need to start seeing it as, is it's a personal selfish response. Mm -hmm in order to avoid just what's going on inside of ourselves. It's got nothing to do really with anyone else. Mm -hmm. It's got everything to do with what we're attempting to avoid inside of ourselves. And this is how we need to see it. We want power and control over what is happening inside of ourselves. We don't want to feel out of control yeah. with regard to our painful emotions. We want to feel in control of these painful emotions. And that's what causes us to revert to rage and anger mm -hmm. and that's what causes us to project it outwards from ourselves because we don't want to feel what's going on inside of ourselves mm -hmm. yeah mm. so all of this stuff is all an avoidance even fear is like that too an avoidance of what's going on inside of yourself and you can justify it any way you want but in the end this is inside of you and if you ever want to be at one with God or ever want to be a loving person you're going to need to have ways to release all of this without reverting to the attempt to control your environment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Or even the attempt to control our own pain. We're exactly. going to have to move through that, aren't we? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And this is what, and we keep saying this in all of these questions, the attempt to control our pain or to suppress our pain and to not feel our pain is the major cause of all of the unloving actions that are ever taken. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if, if you just allow yourself to feel your pain, you will immediately improve in your condition of love because you will no longer take actions that damage other people or yourself. Because you'll no longer act to suppress the pain. Correct. Yeah. So, so just that one simple act, that one simple change, and it's quite a difficult change <laughs> yeah. for most people to make, yeah. but it's a simple change in the sense that it's simple to understand. The willingness to feel our own pain will cause us to shift through all sorts of unloving behavior that we would have pre previously reverted to yeah. just because we were trying to avoid our own pain. Yeah, and, and that probably leads to the final yes. quote. Yeah. Anger is a desire within us to blame and punish our environment for what is within ourselves. Yes, so you can see that it's like we're, we're desiring to not take any responsibility for what's inside of us. Now, I'm not saying here that we have to take responsibility for what, who created it, because mm -hmm. most of the time we did not create, or a fair portion of the time, we did not create a lot of the original damage. Mm -hmm. We have since made choices that are unloving, which definitely have created damage. So we're not immu immune from the creation of our own damage. Yes. In, in other words, 
there are things within us that were created by others and then we made unloving choices ourselves and that ha and so the damage created by that has been created by ourselves mm -hmm. not others mm -hmm. and there are both sets of emotions within us they're within us only we can control their release only we can release them mm -hmm. nobody else can do it for us so every time we blame our environment and try to gain power over our environment and try to affect our environment in some way all we're doing is telling ourselves that we're not taking any personal responsibility for what's within us we don't believe that we should have to feel what's within us right and we do <laughs> <laughs> that's the reality we do because we are the only ones who can yeah once it's in us nobody else can release it for us only we can release it so we do have to take responsibility for what's in us even though we don't need to take responsibility for everything that's in us in terms of its creation we do have to take responsibility for everything that's in us in terms of its release and this is it's in it's so important that we understand this yeah and because most of us don't want to do that yeah. we revert to anger we don't want to take that responsibility mm -hmm. we don't want to have to feel everything we want the people who created it to have to feel it and if it's not them we want somebody else to have to feel it instead yeah you know and the reality is you know for many of us our parents have died or whatever so we no longer feel we can blame them and so what we do is we blame everybody else for what they did mm. which which is basically causing damage to everyone else because we do not want to take responsibility for feeling what's inside of us ourselves without hurting others yeah. that's our primary reason for anger and it's such a damaging emotion and we need to understand and recognize that it is and there is only one way to feel it that's in harmony with love and that is without projecting it on anyone else yeah. and and that is an exercise of your will you can do that by using your will mm -hmm. right? and this is how powerful your will is yeah. but for most of us our will is exercised completely different to that what we do is we exercise our will to blame everybody damn you know hurt anybody else punish them we blame, we want to get everything back to how it was and so you know we manipulate and we control and that's how we use our will mm -hmm. and if we continue to do that we will never be at one with god we're never going to understand love and we are never going to be happy because we're going to continually create more pain for our own soul yeah so i feel it's very important that we understand the relationship between these three groups of emotions Yep. So I suppose that's what we could say in conclusion to this mm -hmm. whole session mm -hmm. is that we, we really need to make sure that we understand the relationship between all of these emotions. So the relationship between fear, grief, firstly, you know, the underlying causal grief, the fear that covers it, the, the addictions that, that we use to get away from our fears, and then the anger that we use to manipulate people into meeting our addictions. <laughs> we need to understand the relationship between these emotions before we can really understand any of our emotional problems. And so what we'd like to recommend to everybody to do is to actually go through these FAQs, these ones that we've covered just so far on emotion and the one on how the human soul functions, and see what their belief systems are about why they feel they should be able to revert to anger, yeah. why they feel they should have their addictions met, and why they feel avoidance of their causal emotion is actually going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel it's been a, this session in particular has been a great session in terms of an introduction to the really core uh, 
principal emotions that affect us negatively mm. and have the, and that we have the power to deal with in a different way and change our lives around completely mm. um, and certainly grow in love and grow towards God. Uh, and thank you so much for your time today because I feel that um, everything we covered is so powerful and um, I would encourage people viewing this session to get really honest and real with yourself. Uh, living in denial of what's within us just delays our progress even further. Mm. And so I know that coming to grips with the fact that we've got lots of addictions and lots of anger and the fact that our pain is never going to leave us until we deal with it can feel fairly um, well painful and difficult. And confronting and, and confronting all those things. And confronting and we have all these judgments. <laughs> and humiliating and, and all these other things. <laughs> all these things, all these things. Yeah. But um, delaying the process doesn't make it easier. No. Uh, and actually commencing the progress when we do it sincerely, things do start to feel better and more real and we begin to work through all these false beliefs that we have. So yes. I would really encourage you to start yeah. that journey. So what we're going to do next time we get together with you is we're going to start answering people's individual questions yeah. about their emotions and their emotional feelings and what they feel about different things with their relationship with God and so forth. And we're going to focus on looking at the different emotions in, that are contained within these questions that individuals have asked. There's, there's quite a few hundred of them. <laughs> so uh, obviously this is going to happen over months of period or, or perhaps even years, <laughs> the way it's going. But um, well, what we'd like to do is cover a lot of these emotional questions because it is such an essential part of your future development. You need to allow yourself to become sensitive emotionally. You're going to need to become sensitive to God's emotions if you're ever going to become at one with God. And, and to feel God's love, you're going to need to feel all of your resistances to feeling it. So, so we'd like to encourage you to feel your emotions and be more honest about your emotions and more honest about your fears and your addictions and your anger and, and all of those and all the denials that you have because that will help you in your relationship with God. So hopefully this session has helped you a little along that path. <laughs> Thanks for your time. And we'd like to thank the time for Mary as well, who's done all of this interviewing, and, and Lena and Igor, who are behind our cameras as well. Thanks, guys.